Now get ready for the time of your life, cause you are now watching Godhead. Everybody, welcome to Gawcat, the show where none of the hosts have actually played the hit game Undertale by Toby Fox. I am your host, Hydrowave99, and I'm joined here today with Flufalpaca. How are you today? You made that personal, didn't you? Anyways, um... <laughs> so, uh... I didn't already mention this before. Um, episode 31, so uh, remember that whole, like, uh, game thing? Um, he bought me two games for the two jokes he made, and then, uh, he said, oh, as a bonus, with love, game three, Undertale, and I was just like, oh, okay, deep down inside, I was like, why, anyways, <laughs> um, but now, uh, yeah. Uh, no, we didn't. We've never played Undertale before. And now I guess I have to. Maybe. Or it could be like all the other unplayed Steam games I have. <laughs> and again, he did cry with joy with the Undertale gift. He did cry with joy. Yeah, in all seriousness, I was... Even though, in a sense, it was a given. You know, it was literally given to me. Because of a challenge. I was still actually like really happy though, because like I felt it felt very brotherly, even though it was just fucking like I don't know ninety dollars of like video games or something, but it still felt really nice to get a gift, you know. Oh, of course, yes. yes. I, I just yeah, it's like I I never really get gifts that I want sometimes, you know. It's and it's also like I don't know, it just felt felt good, felt. Good. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. About our past week. Yeah. So, what have you been up to, Alpac? Anything cool? Okay. So, um, I've been. I don't know. I've been okay. Uh, all right. I mean, I opened up about a few slight things. Uh, that happened over over the week. You know, I was having a little bit of a rough day because of something more personal in my life. But um, I've been not necessarily getting over it, but it's just been subsiding, and it's like it's hard to really talk about, you know. But it's it's whatever, you know. There's nothing we can do about it, sort of stuff, you know. Uh, it's kind of like of all the things that suck in the world i focus on this one thing so yeah you know I hear you. um but it's okay mm -hmm. um so but besides that i've been um mostly just hanging out with friends i guess just doing whatever you know um i've been i've been wanting to stream but i've i've had these nights where like i'm too tired and like i, I feel unable to put the you know hit stream and you know go ahead because i don't want to make it like a one hour stream where it's like me just talking very like uh like you know slow pace and be like uh, blah 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 you know something like that 
I don't want to sound like I'm not even energetic at all because that's not really what I I'd like, you know. Mm. Um, that's not what I'd like to have as like uh, being a content creator. You know, when it comes to like being a content creator, I try to I try to um, put out stuff that I would watch, you know, and put out stuff that um, I know would sit well, you know. Um, and just stuff that I'm passionate about. Uh, so, um, besides all of that stuff, um, I've been, you know, heading out every once in a while. It's been pretty hot up out here. Yeah, um, same here. Like, I noticed, too, like, on my last day of college finals, which, spoiler, I am done with my college semester, so I should be able to get start uploading some more things frequent more frequently now i'm in the midst of hell yeah because <laughs> as of this recording i have 30 i managed to get 31 and 32 upload on youtube and i still have to get 33 and 34 up and then this is also going to include this episode mm. so a lot of fun things ahead for me because i have to make sure all this stuff gets caught up with so i can speed up through the process <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I wonder what the reaction to episode 34 will be like. Of course. Cause <laughs> I wonder what people will be like. Yeah. That's the that's what we call the R34 episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, last, last week's episode. Oh, my God. That I was mean, fun. Yeah, it was really um, fun. I mean, do you want me to summon the artwork again? Mm, no, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. We'll, we'll revisit it in episode 134 or episode 69. I don't know. I mean, we can always revisit it in either episode 42 or episode 69. I mean, we could <laughs> have 43 be opposite day. You switch the positions of the cameras. Then you're just the YouTube studio avatar, and I'm like a guy in a fucking alpaca mask. <laughs> I, to find, I would have to find something that actually match. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just like go on Steam and like find like a royalty free avatar. They added the workshop to YouTube studio, so yeah. <laughs> Bless me for having. If we actually decide that's a good idea in the future, oh my god! I don't know what to think of it, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, a lot of but cool. Yeah, things. it's been. Oh yeah, certainly. Um, let's let's actually move on to that. But I was just gonna say, like, it's been pretty blistering out. I actually have my AC in the window, and it's May. You know, so. I mean, pretty cool down here. Please. I mean, my room seems to be pretty cool. My fan in the background running, so I seem to be happy with that right now. But at least it's not freaking June. Right. Oh, my God. But besides the point, I was going to say before, like, I, so I wrote the last day of finals, and I was about to go on a hike. It seemed like it was going to be a good day just to get some exercise in and just see nature and stuff. And the next thing you know, I thought, oh, this would be not that bad. You know, it's a fairly easy trail, nothing crazy. And then you realize a couple things. Uh, the main path is covered with pavement. Not pay, but you like the rocks at least. Um, oh, you know, the weather, uh, like pebbles. Yeah, there's like some pebbles on the ground. And you have no water bottle. 
and the weather has been like relative like what seems like 70s or 80s or something like that and then you're over here you feel like you're sweating and like you're you know gagging up and you're like this is not a good day for this i'm i'm just gonna go get back in the car yeah i, I mean especially coming from like a slightly cooler you know sort of uh days before it's a little bit too contrasting to really say like oh i'm comfortable going out here you know especially since you didn't have any water that's the worst part you know if you had a water ball and it, was, it had ice in it um you know or hell even some something to keep you shaded you know that's that'd be better but this episode's brought to you by circle yeah, water no. balls just kidding um anyways not, not really <laughs> Not really sponsored, no, not really, but... We're way too small for sponsors, it. unfortunately, but that's for another day. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe one day I'll ask everybody what they think of sponsored videos, but that's a long time away from next. Now we have to make sure this show gets big enough, which, spoiler alert, a podcast usually doesn't, at least from what I can tell, does not grow very fast. No, that's... If we had shorter-formed versions of this then it, I think it, it would be a little bit easier for people to digest, but we've also tried to f climb back to, like, shorter episodes in general, not bloating it with, like, unimportant news and such, so... Uh, luckily, though, I think uh, we're doing well, in a sense, because, like, we're getting closer to building, you know, a, a reputation, in a sense, you know? We have our own sort of uh, place here still. We don't really have a community in a sense, but we are putting the, the stepping stones down. Right. You know, to, we're putting down the, the basement and, and the floor to eventually build up an actual, you know, place, you know. Right. Because as far as my end, like I'm trying to experiment, like trying to get some advertisements going around, just trying to make sure, hey, check out this content here. Check out my Twitter profile or whatever. And. My Twitter advertising campaign so far have resulted in a following count that doesn't actually interact very much with my links. Mm -mm. Which could potentially pose a problem down the road because that could equate to like people will see the tweet, but they won't interact with it. And that could cause the problems. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure the people that I would be targeting are people that I know could click on links and check the videos out and can go to our Discord server and chat with us and say hi and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So, but we, I mean, that's in my end. I do have some cool things coming at the end. I mean, I will eventually publish a vlog video, update video on my channel detailing what I have planned coming up because... I'm sure I want to admit how I would like to have some content that's not just the podcast up on this channel because I want to make this seem more of a variety channel that hey there's other things besides just the podcast that's known as Godcast and that makes it feel like the, the channel should just be renamed to Godcast mm -hmm. like yes and this... I think with that time with with finishing your semester if that will help you might be able to you know touch up upon a small thing you might, might not finish it but i don't know like that uh comic photo show thing maybe you can make like a demo of it yeah i have ideas like i think the comic photo yeah the comic photo show was an interesting thing about that because 
that was originally a Windows Movie Maker project <laughs> back when it's, its initial inception. Its initial inception was all done in Windows Movie Maker. This was back when I was in middle school, so this was a thing I've experimented with for a very long time. But obviously, at the time I made that, it actually caught... I actually got to spread it quite a bit. And apparently it got so aware by like middle school officials, like my principal and all that other crap, that it actually had me resulted in pulling it down. <laughs> what, a, what a sad day when your principal can tell you what you can do and what you can't do. No offense, I just feel like that's so, you know, that's so like um, totalitarian, I guess. Like, oh, you're posting this. Well, it's a bit offensive, so... Nah. <laughs> right. But this is why I wanted to bring it back, but make it more relevant to the modern time. Like... Oh, yeah. Like, not what can I include, like... Not what could I make it seem, like, as familiar as it was to this original exception, which it's not on YouTube, by the way, so you can't find it. <laughs> yeah. But it'll, it can include GIFs in it. I can include that in it, or GIFs as it's technically known as, because that's technically a photo um GIFs and other random photos, I can do all this crazy stuff with it. And I think it'll come out to be a very interesting and dynamic thing once I get it all said and done. Oh yeah, certainly. And, um, yeah. I'd like the concept of it just being, you know, uh, I mean, from what I saw about the the first earlier ones i guess um was like it was like uh i think it was i don't know it was just like images and commentating about them but like it's a stupid like comic almost sort of thing but uh yeah so yeah so that's exactly what it is it's but the difference this time is i'm gonna change up a little bit so essentially feel more like a stand-up comedy show with the idea Pretty of manipulating much, yeah manipulating images and gifs and all this other stuff to make it feel alive and you know it'll be more i i'm gonna say i from what i can tell from what i'm envisioning this show this reboot to be it's gonna be a more animated version of what the show is gonna be what original it was because it did feel like a slideshow at first so i want to make sure doesn't necessarily feel as much of a slideshow. There's some motion going on. That's like, if I make a scribble, I want to make sure that scribble is at least shown a little bit. Yeah. Or maybe, like, I could probably make a window cap or something, put, like, Photoshop in it, and, like, have, like, a base image in there, and kind of flip between different things and whatnot. Make sure it's all matched up, the 1080p images and whatnot, to make it maximum fun. I don't know. I'm yep. I'm still in the planning phase of how that series is gonna go. Oh yeah, I hear you. But from from now until what it actually is, that's a little tease, I guess, as to what it will be like. Right. And I still have a couple versions of Techmania I wanna do too, which includes the infamous Windows eleven review I've been wanting to make. Which I couldn't because the, this desktop computer I'm recording on isn't capable enough because it's using an older processor. But with a newer yeah. laptop I have around that does have a processor capable of it, 
it actually could potentially be used for that. Yeah, that or get the watermark of shame. <laughs> and uh, install it really like bootlegish, like, you know. Yeah, I'm not doing that on this computer. Hell no. Yeah, no. Oh, no, of course not. But I'm just saying, yeah, maybe. And then I have Music Mayhem new, which, my God, I have a ton of music I want to look into and review and all the other crap. Like, I have, like, various albums I want to do. My Chemical Romance even released a new song out of nowhere, which I want to check. I want to review that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's called Foundations of Decay. It's actually a pretty interesting song. It's a bit psychedelic, but it's actually a pretty decent song. Yeah. Um, and obviously all the metal stuff I've listened to, I want to get into all that. And maybe some hard... I'm, yeah. Like hard rock, metal. That's what I expect to do with Music Mayhem. Um, if... Some out of random blue, I get J-pop. Well, I know who I'm bringing on for that episode. Actually, that's Babe Metal. You're going to get the Baby Metal crew. Fuck you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's... Yeah, no. I, wa I want you to come along for the Babe Metal review. <laughs> you know, I'm not opposed to it in all truth, but I wouldn't expect it. <laughs> Anyways, you were saying? Yeah, that would be the ultimate Godcast music mayhem crossover on the planet. Anyways. That would be painful. Um, And then there's Poesia, which is where I've view poetry and like looking into like different aspects of poetry and all those stuff i want to do that as well that's gonna have a very different vibe as well considering that is more of a it's not gonna be a have it's not gonna inject many, much comedy like with tech media as well this is not gonna be a heavy comedy heavy series i mean this definitely is but this is a weird mix of this was injected with comedy because its initial obsession kind of brought it in there. Yeah. Like the thing with Godcast, though, is the fact that this was originally supposed to be less of a comedy show and more of an analytical show. But I think it was like episode one where I, I remember specifically from episode one where I think you were the one that brought the wrestler and you guys were just laughing like nonstop. And I'm like, aching my head like, this is not the direction I wanted it to go in, but if that's what the other hosts want, uh, fuck it, I guess. Uh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, no, I, I remember it very vividly. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sorry because it like it really made it. I feel it made Godcast a little bit better. I feel. Mm. Um, oh, it's made it more inviting a more for of you. More like to... a silly feel. Yeah, at least made it more inviting for you to come, to express yourself a bit more, at least. Yeah, at least a little bit, yeah. Um, but I'm I, trying to find him. Where's yeah. the wrestler? But I do but know, never mind, don't worry about it. Yeah, but I do know that around episode 50, um, we do have a story that I want to explain more about in regards to a former co-host of ours who... 
appear till like episode 16. Because there's quite a bit I want to get off my plate with this. I'm tired of holding on for it for too long. Okay. So we'll get we'll talk about that eventually. I'll uh, eventually maybe in a future episode or off video or something like that. But besides all that, I mean, so many projects. Oh, an epic stick adventure. The other thing I may consider try to lay the blueprints for. I don't expect it to actually you know be done per se. But at least lay the blueprints out for me to get the models in place to make it work. Yeah, we won't reveal too much about that, but uh, I mean, you could um, you could see a actually if you go back to my older like probably the first video I made in like ten thousand years, which is a serious attempt at YouTube, which is a update video regarding the fact that I was going to announce all the projects. You could actually see a very early glimpse of like the rough idea what Epic Sick Adventure will eventually be like, except it's not going to exactly be like that because. It's not going to rely on hand-drawn animation like it used to. It's going to rely more on Adobe Animate. So I need the time to set that up. And learn how to do the motions and everything I need all this, all these figures to do. Yeah. Um, you picked the wrong homework, fool. Sorry. Oh, no worries. But yeah, like, it, that's the thing, though. Like, for those who don't know, on my YouTube channel, I actually have a couple of older animations I did for some school products and stuff like that. And they're nothing like out. They're not like. I would just say they're, not, they're really rudimentary. Like there's no like motion blur or anything like that. It's kind of like stop motion, I guess you could say. Yeah. Where it's like. It's like, you know, you have, like, the character kind of more stationary, and it's just like... That's mm -hmm. not knocking out my headphones. When I saw that, I was like, can you do that? <laughs> it's like, you know, you say, here's like, you get to here, and then the next frame is like... Yeah. So, that's kind of what they're like. They're not, they don't have much motion in them. Which is something I was trying to implement or go ahead with in the Epic Stick Adventure when I was trying to make this higher quality content. Mm -hmm. Is the fact that I wanted to make sure that the animation comes out better. I mean, unfortunately, this higher quality content came at the cost of making Godcast not professional as I wanted it to be due to its audio issues. But that's for a whole other thing. Slender Man was here. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that's mostly because I underestimated the capabilities of this computer. I overestimated it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But with that being... Um, we're going to say I'll back Yeah, up? with that being said... Oh, uh, no. No, it's okay. Oh, okay. It's okay. And with that being said, we have a ton of news to talk about. Well, not a ton. This has actually been a pretty light news week, but we figured we'd find a good amount of topics to talk about for this episode, including a couple of showcases, one of which announced a game that I know Alpaca would love to play. 
And then we no. also have to talk about Electronic Arts because they split with a certain organization and also changed the future of Need for Speed. A couple of delays from Starfield and Redfall. And some news regarding uh, something regarding Activision Blizzard and Square Enix. Because Square Enix is just comedy gold for the two of us at this point. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> now that they've... Ooh, they've done something... Uh, I don't know how to feel about him. Mm-hmm. And then we also have to deal with Elon Musk and Twitter because the store is getting very juicy for that. This one, like we just witnessed something that I think is going to forever change the course of this acquisition that's going on. Yeah. And we got a, a recap from Google I/O and some new accessory from Microsoft. Uh, AMD is refreshing some desktop GPUs. We got some NFTs on Instagram. I don't think they showed how it's going to work. And even OpenSeas is trying to tackle fake NFTs. And we have to deal with the, the death of the iPod and, sci- and how scientists can now grow plants in moon soil. How fun. Like actual moon soil from the moon. Right? Yeah, that stuff. And if that's gonna be cool to look at mm-hmm. says a little bit about the moon right and earth so with that being said do it on mars soil maybe oh, it's god yeah but with that being said let's get over the first topic and that is the fact that sure. 505 games announced a spring 2022 showcase and this is going to take place may 17th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, or for us Eastern lovers, or li- you know, people who live on the East Coast, nine. It's gonna be at nine our time. Let's click nine a.m. Because you can see they're using military time here. Yeah. Um, and from what we can tell from the developers, I mean, we're trying to get this fairly quickly out of the way. Um. This, they aren't necessarily a developer, so they don't have any suits under the belt. They're just a publisher. Yeah, they're, they're, they only really publish the games. They, uh, As far as we know, they haven't really made a game specifically. They're only a publisher. Yes. And they've published... They've published numerous amounts, let me tell you. Um, yeah, games like... They're the ones that published... Death Stranding on PC. They've also published the Payday series, like Payday 2 especially. So maybe Payday 3 could be here, but that's been rumored for a while now, so who knows what's going to happen with that. They also published Control on PC, but I know that Remedy has been doing some buddy-buddying up with Epic Game recently, so I don't think anything from them will be here. Um, but I mean, I, we can't really make an educated guess as to what they're going to show off here because they, like, like we just discussed, they're mostly a publisher. Yeah. Um, but they've, they've got, you know, definitely a lot of, uh, franchises under the belt. And when it comes to publishing, at least they're, uh, you know, they it says they were part of Inside and Limbo and they're, they, you know, Stardew Valley, there's Don't Starve sort of series. Um, 
there's one called Abzu, which we haven't really talked about. But what was that all? Yeah, so Abzu. Oh my god, maybe... it's like Subnautica. Not really. It may be similar, not really. So Abzu but is. without maybe... dying. So Abzu is so... made by the same developers that made Journey and I believe Flower, Flow, whatever the name of the game is. And the idea is it's kind of like these experiences more so. There's not a lot of fighting or anything like that. It's just an experience. Uh, okay. So well, it's like a walking sim. Kind of, but there's stuff going on and there's supposed to be like meaning and all this other stuff, symbolic imagery and stuff like that. That kind of uh, really tells okay, so, you a story. So kind of like Martha's dead then. Not, like that game that you gifted me alongside Undertale. Not quite like that. I, it's it's hard. It's one of those games it's, you have to play it first before you understand what in the world it is. Oh, okay. So it's like Ollie Ollie. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's it's like Oxen Free. Sorry. <laughs> Which is, those developers are now owned by Netflix. Thanks a lot. Oh, shit. I forgot. God damn it. <laughs> Not Netflix. Yeah. I, well, I quit Netflix because <laughs> they, I didn't like their projects. More at 11. Not really. I didn't even go for Netflix. But anyways. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's all we have to say about this showcase, because unfortunately, you know, because they are just a publisher, we can't really make much of an educated guess. I mean, other than the fact that they might show off maybe like Aiden Chronicle, because that that's I know that's coming up pretty soon. And maybe they'll they might show this heavily rumored Payday 3 game. That's a that's all I can tell you. Yeah. They're kind of like developer digital in that respect. Mm -hmm. So, but we do have another thing worth talking about, and that is the fact that we have some news regarding Nintendo as well. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Well, Alpaca's other favorite publishers and make game making things. But the first is the fact I that. I guess so. Well, the first of which is the fact that, well, there is a financial report that came out for Nintendo, which we're not going to get too much into the numbers and everything like that, because as impressive as it is, the Nintendo Switch sold over 100 million units. And the fact that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has reached 45.33 million units. And has outsold the entirety of the Wii U. Even though the in game every was, way, shape, and form. Even though it originated from the Wii U. <laughs> yep. That's so basically, it cannibalized itself. Pretty it's much origins. Yeah, pr that's the funny thing about Mario Deluxe. It's not including the Wii U version. <laughs> yep. So that, that, probably Mario Kart altogether probably sold like fifty to sixty million units, which is ridiculous for a Mario Kart game. It is insane. Possibly equal or a little bit less than or more than right I'll mario kart 8 has in software has been purchased about the same equal or less than a switch as hardware right it's, it's insane it's yeah mario kart 8 if you're if you just talk about deluxe 
is owned by almost half of all Switch you uh, of all Switch owners. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. And not gonna it lie, really crazy. I am one of those people that one of those one half of Switch owners. Yep. Look at that shining example. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and also Metroid Dread for those who are fans of that series. Uh, it got it sold 2.9 million units. I believe that made it the highest selling game in the fran one of the highest selling game in the franchise. So good for Metroid fans out there. Oh yeah. It's a so uh, yeah. Hi, sure. What's this translation thing? I concern. Yeah, so this is an article that kind of mentioned how the next-gen Switch, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to make the transition for... Oh, here we go. I think. It says here. Ignore the images. Not to be that guy, but concern struck me as unusual. Well, I'll have to repeat that again, because welcome to the fact that whenever I record videos on this computer, every internet article takes forever to load. So, it's right. fun time to head. So I guess we can, I can try to synopsize it the best I can. But pretty much the article is saying how it's targeting a translation of the thing that mentions that they're, they're overly concerned I said that they're concerned about the trade, the transition from this system to the the switch to its next system. Mm. And the reason for oh, that is that because as we could see, I was seeing from their history, what I could tell. N sixty four to GameCube. Uh, I believe the GameCube sold worth the N sixty four. Yeah, and then the Wii was successful. And then the Wii U was like, so they really do have a good history of the next console not selling well. Exactly. Even though the SNES was was good, I guess. The, yeah, the only exception was the SNES, the NES, the SNES. That's about it. I think that was, though, because of the bit wars back then. So yeah, I think it, everyone was like, oh, well, screw you, Sega owner. My Nintendo now is 16 bits. There's a fucking mosquito in my room. Die, please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Now we got the article to mostly load besides some images. So I can, I feel comfortable showing it off. But pretty much it's saying how this is from Tom James, who is a game translator and lead. And he was also lead translator for like Tales of Arise, Ghostwire, etc. But it's saying not to be that guy, but concern struck me as unusual language for an investor Q&A. So I dug up the original Japanese, and while it's not an invalid translation choice, he's simply saying a smooth transition is a big priority on their hand, on their minds. And I think, yeah, the image is curious. It finally shows up. So you can see over here, he's in the midst of translating all this stuff over here. If you hover over Alt and click on it, it says image description. Um, I see. And it says, on the other hand, even when looking back on our past experience with hardware generation transitions, such as with the Wii and Nintendo DS, 
We recognize that our ability to deliver a smooth transition when we release new hardware in the future is as important priority for us. To that end, we're focusing on building long-term relationships with our consumers via Nintendo accounts. So that's what that highlighted um, part reads. And it's more or less in the same vein of it. It's like trying to make sure that that um, going from Switch to the next console, they're making sure that that relationship from the switch, you know, that that account trans transfers over uh, so they, they'd be a bit more connected to that, the new system as well as their old system, as far as I can see. Like that you'd be able to uh, just it's it's like when you buy a new phone, you can just have your if you're on Android, you can just log into your Google account. And pretty much everything's already there. I guess that's what they're trying to achieve. Right. And naturally, that's going to be a bit of an issue. So, as we've seen before, Nintendo seems to have been trying to set themselves for a footprint for ease of transition with the fact they have the Nintendo account that can now carry your purchases over to the next system rather than dealing with the fact that all the data is on the original system. If you lose it, then you're, then you're fucked. Mm -hmm. I can see where that's a bit of a, you know bit of an issue it's like uh moving on to a completely different platform and basically starting over again right whereas like the 360 to xbox one you can transfer your account over same with the playstation network um whereas nintendo didn't really have that during the wii generation and the wii u generation they tried to make that and it was okay-ish you know in the 3ds i made mine on 3ds and stuff um but since i haven't gotten a switch it's like yeah i don't know <laughs> but at least um, you'll know now that if you do buy a switch and then this new switch comes out then you know that your digital purchase will carry over thank oh yes without a doubt because yes that is one thing having to buy the same old game over and over how many times have you bought super mario bros one or two <laughs> or three what the hell is this skyrim no i'm just kidding like literally people give shade to todd howard but holy crap nintendo can i just have my game that i had i bought on the wii transfer over to my wii u can it please <laughs> I mean, the weird thing with the, with the Wii the Wii U is the fact that they had a yeah you had to doubt a specific transfer tool. Yeah, but who's gonna do that? That's through text. That's I, I'm I'm a. I thought you said a lot of like, like, older people bought the Wii because of like Wii Sports and stuff. That is so true. So that that transfer tool is is moot. Exactly. Because they wouldn't really understand. Hopefully they would, but you know. Yes, I believe what I had to do literally for my Wii U when I had it was I took it. I think you simply had to take an SD card, right? You get this app. You have to download it for both the Wii and the Wii U. And then from that yeah. point, you transfer everything over. Yeah, or I, I can or believe see it's where a, that's. 
Yeah, I believe it also involved like internet connection too, where you have to make sure both of them are connected to the internet, and then he does it too. But yeah, no, that's kind of uh, I don't know. Yeah, by then, so I, I wouldn't have. Yeah, so a way to do most of that without having to rely on that sort of stuff, or just how like the Switch Online you know, has saved data back up to the cloud already incorporated in the tennis switch online is pretty helpful so if you get this next system which we hope would be backwards compatible with the original switch yeah without a doubt like how you play ds games on a 3ds right game boy games game boy advance you know it should be game much boy of a advance of ds yeah then that wouldn't be much of a problem the only problem series pretty much is pokemon and there's a reason for that and that's because Pokemon both, Bank. Well, not only that. If you have save data on your Switch, you can't use the Nintendo Switch save backup feature for Pokemon. Because you'd be able to copy Pokemon. Welcome to Motherfucker. That is DRM hell. That is. <laughs> That is like, that is like trying to like copy an NFT <laughs> and then it actually going into effect. <laughs> like the law going into effect being like, do not copy that floppy. Like, uh... <laughs> Anyways, oh, that sucks. But besides that, I mean, I hope Nintendo does live up to the promise of trying to make this a smooth transition from the Switch to whatever the next platform is going to be, which I think is going to be a hybrid because this Switch was proven to be successful for them. I think it'd be foolish for them to ignore what they've done with the Switch. Yeah, that would be pretty... Nah, I understand that. But... I hope they wouldn't drop the beat this time, you know. Exactly. Three, three strikes are out in a sense, you know. <laughs> but speaking of Switch stuff, let's talk about some new games that were showing off at an Indie World Showcase. This is the in this is Nintendo's showcase for indie games. And on this Indie World, there's a game for Hydro here and a game for me that we we're both looking forward to each individual pick. Because according to Hydro, one of these games I guess I'll like, he didn't tell me really much, but he said that he personally liked the mini motorways thing. So, yes, I don't know. And that's a day one can't drop. Wait to get to and, it. and I'm actually playing it right now. And yes, it is on Steam, so you can play it too. Yeah. Is it, is it crossplay? No, it's not a multiplayer game. Shit. Never mind then. But, anyways, so <sighs> there's a couple of the games. I thought these is a pretty decent showcase. I mean, it's not one of the strongest ones because they didn't finish it off with the the last game. Like the oh, here's one more announcement that's really cool, like really strong, like showcase, like how like what happened with Cuphead coming to Switch or with Legend, like the Legend of Zelda Crash for the Necromancer crossover. Yeah. Something strong with that. It didn't have that this time. But the announcements it did do were pretty solid. So let's just go take a look at these games and see what we think of them. The first okay. of which was another Crab's Treasure from Agro Crab. 
This is actually a Dark Souls style game where you play as a crab and the idea is that you find the different shells they could swap into. And use that okay. to form strategies and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's all crustacean themed, underwater, all that stuff. I mean, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind trying it out. The next one is Gunbrella, and this one's interesting. It, this is actually a side-scroller game that has apparently take on the role, as the description says here. I remember seeing this. That's pretty decent, too. Take on the role of a gruff woodsman on a quest for revenge armed with a mysterious Gunbrella. In this nor-punk adventure game, your investigation becomes entangled with the inner workings of ghouls and gangsters, cops and cultists, and other incredibly bizarre characters in a world rapidly losing its natural resources. So you, I, it looks like it's going to be somewhat of a Metroidvania from what I saw of it, because you do gather resources, you upgrade the weapon. And they had to put my favorite game, probably my favorite game, the entire announcement here, because I've... See, I play this game a lot on Steam, and I've really enjoyed this game. It's many motorways. I was screaming like a freaking schoolgirl when I saw this game um, get announced. I, I knew I had to buy that instantaneously. Oh, yeah. It's a very... I, I hear. It, it's a very simple game in which you just take... You connect the houses with the stores. And the idea that you want to... You're, it, it, you're trying to make sure the, that your commute... That one note... When the civilian goes to the building and back, it counts as a point. So the idea you try to rack up as high of a score as you can or make sure traffic doesn't get too congested and everything. It's a very interesting game. Okay, so it's, so it's like, like uh... It's, it's kind of like a pseudo-puzzle-slash-competing game. It, it's kind of like the uh, Bioshock puzzles where it's like the glowing liquid is flowing and you have to switch them as fast as possible, right? Kind of, but not really because it's more like you have to make sure every, the commuters get to their sto the store and back. Yeah, I. Oh, OK, so it's like, uh, OK, it's like that. Uh, I don't know. It's like, right. I'm trying to think of a concept for it, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, and, there's, and after that, there's a game called Ooblets. This is actually the game they opened the show with. And pretty much what it is is that it's kind of like a Stardew Valley of sorts, but instead you're also raising these creatures that kind of walk around with you. Okay, and, and this might like be the game. Is this the game you're talking about? No, that game's coming up later. Oh, okay. Anyways, um, but this is such a pretty chill game. You might like this one. I don't know. The way I saw it. Yeah, it seems interesting. Um, and then you have a Leckhead. This is a 2D puzzle platformer where you have a, your character has like an electric head. And the idea is that you kind of have your presence kind of makes the platforms glow in, in some way. And you can use and you use electricity and stuff to solve puzzles. 
And this, and there's, and then the game up this is Soundfall. And this is kind of like a 3D take. Kind of looks, what I thought it's literally like a 3D version of Crypt of the Necrodancer, which is like a rhythm based. Yeah, this is like actually a rhythm based. Apparently, claim it's a rhythm based dungeon crawler combines looter shooter action with music gameplay. All right, then. So it's literally a rhythm. It's a it's a rhythm game mixed with a shooting game, but it's like a top down shooter. So that's why I thought of Crypt of the Necrodancer. Yeah. And then there's Wild Frost that's coming over, and that's kind of like another one of the card game ones, card game RPG ones. Mm-hmm. And there's we are OFK, which is like a. <laughs> That's a visual novel I believe we both saw and got down to the Game Awards. Uh, Batora Lost Haven. This is a, apparently a story-driven interplanetary action RPG that combines the features of a hack-and-slash game and a twin-stick shooter. So apparently you play as Av- Avril, which is a 16, who is a 16-year-old girl who has been given extraordinary powers. And yeah, I did remember seeing this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I got I'm getting flashbacks of this one now. This one this one seemed pretty interesting too. It's a heavy narrative yeah. driven game that has choice effect. You might like this one. Okay. So that one is a it's a narrative driven game. You might like that one. Yeah, I do like it. Sounds nice. If it's on Steam, you could probably find it and see what you think of it, but. Okay. I have another game called Silt. This is a game which you dive into a Harry Ocean Mist and unravel long forgotten mysteries in this puzzle adventure game. So, another puzzle adventure game. Nothing crazy there. Totally accurate. Battle Simulator <laughs> is coming to the Switch as well. No news on battle, Battlegrounds. That's the other one that came out from this series. Yeah, the Battlegrounds was, it's kind of like a, a parody of the uh, Battle Royale series, sort of a uh, shooter, t- sort of genre. Mm. Um, well, this one is more like uh, literally just a battle simulator, but with, uh, I don't know, like po- polygonal people of yeah. certain colors. Yeah, you just, you just plot out these battles and you watch them duke it out. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we also have Wayward Strand, and this one, from I remember, actually, I don't think I really remember this one too well. But this one here was apparent for what it's describing. It is a teenage journalist, Casey Bumaris, and follow the hospital's inhabitants while uncovering the airship's mysteries. And it's like it looks like a detective sort of game. It looks a lot like uh, like a Sierra sort of uh, game, like, you know, like a point and click sort of thing. Right. Like, uh, so I'm sure you I'm a sure more modern example. A yeah, more so... modern example might be like Sally Face or something like that. Right. I was going to say, I'm sure you're probably just clicking the links and just taking a look at each game to see what you can find out. Or like Franbo or something. I can see where it's going at. 
I was uh, thinking more like, holy crap, this looks like infinite, but nah, never mind. Like I said, I'm sure you're just clicking the links that, of games that have a link just to see what, what they actually are for screenshots and stuff. Yeah, of course. And then we also have Cult of the Lamp. This is a randomly generated world awaits this action adventure game. As a possessed lamb saved from annihilation by a foreboding stranger, you need to repay your debt by creating a loyal community of woodland worshippers. Gather resources to build structure, then gather your courage to brave deadly dungeons like the Silk Cradle. Apparently that's coming this, to the Switch this year. So. Is this, it's not the fucking game. Holy shit. I love this. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm saving that as a, as an image. I'm going to cut it out. What, like... the Cult of the Lamb? It, it's fucking amazing. I love it. So that's probably a game you'll probably check out on Steam then. Yeah. I mean, it's not an alpaca, but it's, I guess it's a similar family, so it works. It's close enough. I like it. It's fucking beautiful. And they have Opus Echo, a star song. This is from Full Bloom Edition and Sigono. And apparently you seek out elusive asteroids, engage like colorful cast characters, and unravel the mystery of star songs in a, this pu narrative puzzle game. And so it's just a narrative puzzle game. And then we have Gibbons Beyond the Trees of Broken Rules. And this is a dynamic movement system to swing slide and somersault through a hand-painted jungle. And it's a moving adventure about freedom and survival. You're a lost Gibbon who has embarked on a danger journey to unknown lands. So that's pretty neat. And then it showed up a sizzle reel of a couple games. Including Card Shark. A guidebook to Babel. Wow, that's a weird. Uh, one shot world machine edition. Curse to golf, and Alpaca's favorite game of the entire presentation. Idol manager. What? <laughs> Idol manager. What is it? Cookie clicker, as like a fucking manager. No. Oh no, idol. Like I like idol. Yes. Okay, like an idol, like a pop idol. Like a J-pop idol, exactly. Oh, you fucking <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> yes, that is your favorite gift of the entire presentation. Idol manager. No. <laughs> it's on Steam, so no. you can play it right now. <laughs> okay. Wh what? <laughs> you take on the role of a manager at a small but growing talent agency. As you cultivate and train the newest generation of young pop stars, <laughs> you'll have to decide who to hire and who to fire. Who gets promoted and when things go well, and who gets reprimanded when things go sour. The personal lives of these young celebrities are part of your business, and the life of a pop star isn't always a happy one. <laughs> um, the world is full of gossip, m magazines, super fans, rival groups. Wait, decide 
and how to deal with crisis crises, uh, crises, including gossip, vandalism, stalkers, or <gasps> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay then. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay. It's trying to live the life of what it's what Alpaca wants to do is create his own J-pop band. With, you know, you, I'm terrified because what the fuck? Um, we can maybe have, imagine this actually. This is a singer, and this is another shut one. The fuck <laughs> up! I f what the fuck? <laughs> we got the we got the, the quartet right there. We got James Hetfield in there too, and then we got all the Bay Metal Girls. <laughs> fucking motherfucker I swear to fucking god oh my if, god if you, want, if, I, if you want to make it a five group no we don't need to add Hudson Emiku. <laughs> so apparently you can like in this game you, you make sure that there aren't any like rabid fans that are like gonna Oh, it's like Fallout Shelter, but like not really also. Oh, okay. I see. Well fuck's sake, alright then. Well, I mean this is okay, I guess, but I'd feel bad just watching one of these guys one of these like idols like one of them being attacked by a fan and knowing that they got murdered or something in an alleyway or something i don't know i'm terrified now because this is like very dark yes and then so i mean this like i said this was a it didn't have that one strong game at the very end but at least it had a couple you know games i mean such as mini motorways and totally accurate battle simulator for myself and then for you Cult of the Lamb and Idol Shut Manager. It. <laughs> Shut it. <laughs> just leave it at Cult of the Lamb because that is ironically funny. You're just a son of a bitch who was waiting for that moment for me to realize that's your favorite game. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Godcat, the show where one of the hosts likes to roast on the other host for liking J-pop stuff. It's too late to back out. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, I think at this point we can move on to the next game. Well, not the next yeah, game. Yeah, uh, FIFA and EA Sports to end video game partnership. Correct. Woo! Hey, this is what happens when you, uh, I remember there was like Madden 2021 I th or 2020, I think. One of the, one of the newer Madden games from EA had Madden NFL 19 on their, on the banner on the stadium. Like they didn't change the number, the logo in in game by accident, on in like the actual in game arena. 
So this is a, this is good, in a sense, because this is them realizing, oh shit, we can't just half-ass the game anymore. Now Continue on, Hydro. Yeah, once the article slowed, we'll mm -hmm. get into it even more. But pretty much what happened here is that for a few... I'm going to try summing up before we get to the actual articles. So pretty much, for those of you who follow the show, the two of us have talked about how for a while now there was speculation that FIFA and EA would actually go their separate ways. Because apparently in the eyes of EA, FIFA is starting to get a little too greedy with the license. Mm-hmm. And negotiations, and so they have to go their separate ways. And as we can now see from this FIFA article, this article here from ESPN themselves, um, Electronic Arts will stop making its hugely successful FIFA video game in its current name, marking a split in one of soccer's most successful and lucrative partnerships after the sides failed to strike a new licensing deal. Instead, the California Cubs said Tuesday that EA Sports FC, which I do not agree with that name, that sounds like a terrible name, it, just call it. Just call I don't it know, EA just, Sports Soccer. Yeah, or EA Sports Football Championships or something. Just spell out FC, please. I don't know. <laughs> I think you just figured out what the what that stupid FC thing means. Because my God, I, I was like, what's FC mean? But just imagine football champion. Like, really? It, well, yeah, like it's like I don't know. They, they, it's whatever. I hope that's the actual subtitle and it's not just like, what does FC stand for? Oh, it's, it just means like, uh, 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 I don't know. Put carrot. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, you can see here, I, it's I found a baby carrot. I found, sorry, I found a baby carrot that was shaped like an elf foot. Anyways, go ahead. Is the thing it said the California company said Tuesday that EA Sports FC, again terrible name, will be introduced from 2023 after it creates the final game its partnership with FIFA later this year. So FIFA 22 will be the last game of the FIFA name, and afterwards, watch the constant waves of consumer confusion happen. <laughs> now, apparently, too, that FIFA's going to start making more. New non-simulation games. And they'll launch ahead of the 2022 World Cup that kicks off Qatar in November. And they're going to start creating a new game model inside the recent launch of its streaming service, FIFA Plus. And mm -hmm. yeah, so this is a whole mess in its own, right? Because they keep mentioning how, like, I mean, if you look at the end of the article, you can see EA CEO Andrew Wilson say, We're thankful for our many years of great partnership with FIFA. The future of global football is very bright, and fandom around the world has never been stronger. Even more in it, and he's mentioned Wilson promised even more innovative and authentic experiences to the growing football audience. And they're going to try and make new interactive experiences to fans across the globe. But I remember like hearing something about what the FIFA organization has said about, you know, the whole this whole license split and how they were a bit more boisterous and arrogant, while the, yeah. the EA response has been more civil. 
Mm-hmm. So keep that for what say that for what you will. And also, and goodness for EA though is that they're still getting a bunch of major talent for these games, and they're getting partnerships from Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, and UEFA for team licenses. And various social media accounts. I mean, I wish I could show you these, but unfortunately, they're kind of blocked off because my brother likes to not stink. But they seem to be getting many of the same teams on board, which is a good sign for EA and their future in the in their own soccer series. Yeah, certainly. And um, last, yeah, before just... yeah, before we get to our thoughts on the whole situation, our last thing I want to talk about too is. The fact that EA's expanding Criterion to handle the Need for Speed games. And they're doing this by taking one of the studios from Codemasters and bring them into Criterion. Okay. So you can see here from GameIndustry.biz, Electronic Arts has integrated the development team at Codemasters Cheshire into Criterion game, doubling the footprint of the Need for Speed studio. So they doubled the size of this game, of this game studio, which is good, good to see. Because hopefully with, you know, with having Codemasters a, a bit more on their side, not entirely, but part of Codemasters on the side to make Need for Speed better would be huge. Mm-hmm. Especially as Codemasters have been renowned for their Grid series and Dirt series. And as EA spokesperson told GameIndustry.biz, this integration builds off the close partnership of the two CEOs have developed over the past few months. And sharing common values and similar cultures, we strongly believe you to find the huge wealth of experience across both teams, but must deliver the best racing experiences we can for our players. So, Alpaca, what do you think of all these news regarding EA? I know the soccer thing, I think, is the bigger news of the bunch, because that involves two large organizations separating paths, but also the expanding criteria to come to help better develop a quality need for speed game is nothing to snuff at either. Oh yeah, certainly not. Um, well, when it comes to the, um, the FIFA and EA sports, you know, splitting paths, um, you know, for me, um, I think it's an eye-opener. You know, I said at the beginning in a very, like, harsh way, you know, but I think it's an eye-opener for EA that they need to find a way to appease their audience a bit more than just rehashing the same thing over and over again, you know, when it comes to their sports games. But then again, I know that it's a little bit, uh, difficult when it comes to like a realistic sort of sports game to uh, make things much uh, much more refreshed. So um, I can understand why that's why it's difficult to make the idea of football, soccer, sort of the sort of uh, even playing field and two goals on the other end sort of game. It's hard to make that different. I know. But there's got to be a way to make the actual sport 
more gamified for the actual like like uh find a way to innovate and change up the franchise in a sense you know how like uh you know you play a wrestling game and there's plenty of other extra modes off the side there's the main you know in a ring sort of thing and uh but then they include like hell in a cell sort of stuff they include like you can pull props out from underneath the uh you know actual stadiums sort of thing uh you know the actual stage um the arena and they they do all these sort of things to modify the rule sets and stuff. So I th I know that there's definitely ways to make soccer a bit more innovative in that sense, or football, you know, um, in general being pretty much just get the get the ball in between the uh, little goalies, you know, um, without getting tackled or tagged out. I understand that, you know, but. I think it's a bit of an eye-opener. Um, and them sticking with EA, though, at least is... It, I feel it at least softens the blow a tad bit. Even though I feel like, um, in a sense, they, they're kind of... You know, I think when it comes to uh, losing the FIFA name... I know that's what fans have come to expect, so, like you said, the loss of it and causing confusion. I know that that went through, and at least they'll actually have a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of a soften to the blow of it, you know? Right. As far as the Criterion thing, um, with the Codemasters Cheshire team, um... Good enough, I guess. Need for Speed. I don't really play. I don't really play racing games, but um, I guess it's. Keep in mind that Criterion it, actually helped to like code of, like had a run support on Battlefield twenty forty two, and I believe that actually delayed oh, the release for for the Need for Speed game. Okay. So well, if that actually helps give you a little bit of context. <laughs> I see. There's something you might be more familiar I mean, with. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, then I don't know. I hope they learned at least from 2042, you know, um, can't polish a turd. Don't spend your resources where it's inefficient. And that's what companies do. They make sure it's the most efficient way to earn money sort of stuff, you know? So Right. Because keep my criteria was primarily known for, like, racing games and some other stuff, too. But mostly racing games especially. Okay, well, then but, I think it's okay to be in Need for Speed, you know, uh, development team. Right. And obviously, you know, you know obviously you could tell that DICE probably was having trouble with Battlefield 2042. It's probably what prompted EA to probably bring some other studios on board. Yeah. They're but speaking of probably. which, uh, we're going to move on real quick to a, the next topic here, and that's the fact that Redfall and Starfield actually got delayed. Yeah, yeah so let's talk about this, because that whole uh, that whole thing with, uh, you know, last time, last week, um, June 12th, might look a little bit less appealing i hope 
not, but <laughs> let's see. So they're delaying it just so they can release Skyrim 2. <laughs> just kidding. It's not going to be called Skyrim 2. It's going to be called Elder Scrolls 6. That's not going to be for 10,000 years. Anyways, moving on from that, we're going to say back to this press release here from Bethesda. They said, we made the difference. The decision to delay the launches of Redfall and Starfield to the first half of 2023. The teams at Arcane Austin and Bethesda Game Studios, which houses legendary Todd Howard, have incredible ambitions for their games, and we want to ensure that you have received the best, most polished versions of them. We want to thank everyone for their excitement for Redfall and Starfield. That energy is a huge part of what inspires all of us every day and drives our own excitement for what we are creating. We can't wait to share our first deep dive into the gameplay for both Redfall and Starfield soon. Now, as Alpaca mentioned, yes, this is going to make the showcase that Microsoft and Bethesda are holding quite a bit different because they're going to have to show a new release date like in February or March for Starfield. In fact, mm -hmm. Starfield is still going to be the big focus of the show. It's got to be the big focus of the show. That's what a lot of people are looking forward to seeing is gameplay for Starfield. No. Like, I'm... Oh, I, yeah, certainly. Like, but... I want to see gameplay for Starfield. You want to see gameplay for Starfield. My, yeah, copy I'm of, not... my copy of Fallout 76 wants to see gameplay of Starfield. Yeah, wants to see just how much of a punch in the nuts it, it, it is compared to its own self. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I don't really care too much about Redfall. I haven't been really too hyped about it, but, I mean, Starfield is going to be, quote-unquote, Skyrim in space. So, w with Fallout elements, I guess. So I mean, think about this uh, one. What if it means that we get zero gravity bugs in space? That's actually a feature. <laughs> It'll actually be a feature this time. Mm, yes, yeah, spicy. I like it. But yeah, well, that's I... what happens when you when you're uh, you're part of the chess club. <laughs> that duck is laughing now. <laughs> the famous oh fuck yourself no it's cool <laughs> the ha 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 I remember the beat from Final Fantasy X oh my god ha 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 man Final Fantasy X laughs were such a weird thing to watch <laughs> the Uncanny Valley might describe it but even then, I don't even think it could. Right. But back to, you know, Bethesda here. Uh, what do we think this will mean for, actually, Xbox? Like, we hope. I hope that whatever fills, whatever Microsoft shows in this showcase in, like, June, it better be able to fill up whatever void there is in, like, the end of the year. Because right now, we're going to see an Xbox with relatively nothing released. Except for Skyrim 4K edition. They did that last year. It's 4K called... 120. They did it last year, so it's called Skyrim Anniversary Edition. It's called uh, 
Well, this next one's going to be called Skyrim Deluxe Anniversary Edition. It's definitely different. Buy it. They yeah, already man. released a Series X version and PS5 version of Skyrim. They're probably going to do a Fallout 4 Anniversary Edition next. Uh... Well, in that case, then, um, they're, uh, releasing a, uh, 8K version this time for the PS6 and, uh, Xbox, um, 720. That might be likely, actually. Then again, by then, they'll probably... Just for Game Kong sales? Sorry. <laughs> then again, by then, they'll probably just make whatever the next Elder Scrolls game is gonna be. They're gonna make that one. They're gonna start rehashing yeah. that one. Mm hmm. And next thing you know, Microsoft's gonna buy CD Projekt Red and then rehash Cyberpunk 2076 for every console, therefore. And we're actually gonna get DLC for it. Oh, wait, that's Red Dead, sorry. Just kidding. Um, actually, there is a DLC roadmap for Cyberpunk, but we don't really talk about that. I hope they have the wake the fuck up samurai thing. I hope that's in one of the DLCs, because that was not in the game. I know it. <laughs> well, anyways, we have to talk about, well, besides Bethesda and roasting on Skyrim, uh, we have to talk about Activision Blizzard and their new divert and their diversity tool that got revealed. Well, not for other developers, but you know what I mean. And... This comes. This article comes to us from Gamespot, and I remember seeing this. Actually, I remember showing you this too, and we were both over here like forcing something like this. And apparently, to even Gamespot mentions, it's not a great look for the company. Yeah. Um. My whole sort of like. Um. My whole take on this is like it's I don't know it just seems like they're trying to cover up tracks and also I don't know it, it just you know I'm gonna be honest like I don't mean this in any bad way but you know what this reminds me of this reminds me of that one like I forgot what it was I think it was like a family guy skit or a South Park skit they're at an airport, and this was during, you know, controversial times, and they had, like, this little sort of, like, uh, skin color sort of, uh, are you this light enough sort of racist sort of jokingly thing. It just reminds me of that. Like, it, it literally just is, like, that's kind of, um, like, it feels like the parody is becoming reality. You know how like South Park always predicts the future and Family Guy sort of or Simpsons. You know how the Adult Swim sort of like uh, cartoons. They always fucking predict the future. Like this is literally what it feels like. And I mean nothing, nothing rude about what I just said. I, like it's just it feels like they're trying to like be inclusive for the sake of covering up their own tracks. Not because they actually care about being diverse and seeming more politically correct and 
kind to people of other origins. You know? Right. So let's say, It just feels like a... feels like fraud. I don't know. <laughs> right. Let's take a quick look at this article here from GameSpot. And as you can see here, it says, The gaming industry has a long problem with diversity. There have been issues by different issues over the years to rectify the issue. But not all efforts, while well-intentioned, are good. In a blog post with Activision Blizzard, which... If you want to take the blog post, you can. But it's in the article here, but we're just going to read off this article here. Activision Blizzard detailed a decision to use a character diversity tool. Where is it? A character diversity tool that qualifies ethnicity, beauty, cognitive ability, and other things to indicate you're different is one such matter that feels particularly bizarre, if not offensive. Want this stupid thing clears out, then I could actually proceed with the rest of the thing. Here we go. Developed by King and MIT Game Lab, this diverse tool was meant to create and monitor guidelines for character conception and creation. King Globalization product manager Jacqueline Comatez further explained the tool's mission, saying, The diversity space tool is a measurement device to help identify how diverse a set of character traits are and in turn how diverse that character and cast are when compared to the norm. And you can see the image of this down here. Like, take a look at this. This is for Overwatch, different Overwatch characters. Take a look at this. Okay. So you can see here, literally, it has like different, like, yeah, well, thing in the middle, right? It indicates yeah. a neutral point. And it just various levels of cultural differences. Like, how different is this compared to the norm? And like, obviously, it seems like the higher the status, the more different it is. Okay. Um. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, uh, okay. Apparently, the Call of Duty Vanguard Overwatch 2 dev teams beta tested the tool and thought it was helpful. The reception was immediate and enthusiastic, and Activision Blizzard planned to launch the tool internally during the summer in Q3. And apparently, people over our Twitter have been less than enthusiastic about Activision Blizzard's diversity tool. It skews a little too close to for phrenology, pseudoscience, in which traits can be measured by looking at people's goals. There's also questions like, how is the door baseline even decided on? Obviously, Activision Blizzard's intentions are good. But as we kind of mentioned, this is a poor execution. Yeah, it's like they're trying to categorize you know um who like 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 i i see where this is getting at how, how is the norm even measured how can you measure how diverse a person is by just saying oh yeah they're this and that and that and also this i don't know it's just like uh I mean, I understand it's like they're going from like probably the most generic to this and that, but I don't know. It just feels a bit uh, like offensive in of itself because it's saying that the person who is in the most neutral point 
is like the most generic person ever in a sense you know oh of course yeah also too i mean keep in mind we also have another account of people thinking this is a terrible thing and it's get, even getting frosty perceptions from dev developers and it literally mentions in gamebro.com that's a little sub headline you can't number crunch your way into diversity yeah i i hear that <sighs> it says today obviously they made an act uh public tool that plan to deploy across the team coming in months it's called the diversity space tool and like other game development tools it's not directly to generate game cops, but rather evaluate the diversity of game characters and quantity quantify that diversity into numbers and spider charts. It was apparently created by the team at Candy Crush Developer King. As I mentioned before in the other article, it was in collaboration with, you know, another MIT thing. And it was time to that game, the Call of Duty Vanguard featured an international cast of diverse characters finding um no no people in World War Two. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> About it, that. Yeah. It's also been tested by Overwatch 2 team who expressed optimistic first impressions. And yeah, if you scroll down again, I believe. Yeah, it shows it's the same chart again with the chart here. Apparently, if you look, if you look at this, Michael Yakao, a narrow designer at Phoenix Lab, neatly called out how weird it was to create such a system that judges characters against a norm. This tool assumes white male as the baseline against which points are earned via de deviation, which in itself is reinforcing rather than reimagining re currently non-inclusive paradigms. And it says it doesn't help that many of the metrics picked by King and Activated Blizzard uncomfortably mirror real-world beliefs of racists and bigots. Eugenics movement of the early 20th century took particular enjoyment with the 19th century study of phrenology, a practice where one's intelligence or cognitive ability is closely correlated to the size and shape of one's skull. By coincidence, phrenology experts would deem the skulls of non-white groups like Native Americans or Black Americans as being deviant, which was often used to justify atrocities like genocide or slavery against said groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that all too well when it comes to, like, that sort of, uh, judgment. Mm. I've seen it. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, clearly this is a really interesting thing. I mean, fortunately, this is not the usual stuff that we've been hammering on for a long time with this company about, you know, dive the lawsuits and the all that stuff. It's at least something that is more in the hands of a developer. Yeah, I mean, I get where this is be what this is being used for. And I feel like it's intention as well. And that it, I understand why it's being used, but I feel like uh, there's a bit of questionableness about it. Like saying that, like it literally says that, you know, the able bodied, you know, straight white uh, 
you know, cisgender man sort of is sort of like the norm in a sense. And that as, as more of these points go outwards, that changes them, you know, that character in a sense. And it's like, I mean, like, I feel like that's, ca that's calling a straight white cisgender man, the, you know, the default. And I feel like there's no such thing as really a default race, you know, right. um, or a default sort of, uh, sex, gender, you know, uh, uh, ableness, I guess. Like, I mean, yes, the defaultness, you know, is being able, but that's, that's a bit different. Like you, you know, the, but even then, you know, it's not really your choice, you know, to be born able. And it's, I, I feel like it's a little bit, uh, I feel, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little like, uh, I, I understand what the tool is being used for and it's trying to like diversify what is the usual sort of character in a sense, according to norms and stuff, but it's not, I feel like it's a little bit iffy when it comes to it's, uh, uh, you know, what it looks like to some people. I understand that it's, yeah, like I said, it's being used to uh, diversify these characters, but if you're starting as a baseline being, you know, the the usual sort of right. default or whatever. I get that. I get that entirely. That. I just think, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's just saying that, you know, it's just, it just makes it seem like, as this article mentioned, just like, what if someone wanted to make that be that default white male character? It feels like with this tool, it doesn't promote that idea, and that developers should be able to make characters, however way they need to make the game characters be. Like, does it matter much if the character is a woman or um or I don't know an African American male or a Chinese? woman or anything like that no, it shouldn't really no up the developer no, make the game I... however they want to and as we see here like it just makes people seem like it's just not a good look like it's just forcing people to make characters that just to make them diverse just to make them diverse it doesn't make them more engaging or anything like that yeah, I, I think I can understand that. There's a fine line between representation and, uh, you know, um, forcing a, uh, you know, a, you know, as a virtue signaling, as some people might say, uh, because, well, well, I do agree that it's, you know, it's, it's nice to have representation like that if it's forced and contrived and just feels um like an uneducated pandering that's when it just seems a little like out of place and not and out of the ordinary and i would even call it offensive because it's like they're forcing this person to exist uh you know without even going through any sort of hardship or anything that would give them uh value as a character and like 
like uh, you know how they make you know how like uh, the Mary Sue archetype, you know them going through a struggle sort of thing, and if they just kind of ease their way through everything, it's like they didn't earn that, and that's kind of just saying that you know you don't have to struggle, you know, to uh, achieve what you want, you know. I feel like uh, I feel like characters like that um, feel too one-dimensional and feel um, like they don't represent the actual struggle of what some of these ethnicities, you know, races, um, what women go through, what you know, uh, the black and Asian Pacific sort of uh, you know races sort of go through. I feel like it doesn't um, glorify, not glorify, but it doesn't like uh, show just how terrible it can be by making them just have an easy free pass. I feel like that's the most offensive part is to act like everything's normal. It's not, you know, right. And we can move on to uh, while well, this tool has been a very, you know, I guess you could say a controversial way to show diversity. Let's give ourselves a little bit of a moment of comedy here, because ladies and gentlemen, Square Enix never keeps us never keeps us from stopping laughing. They will always Oh yes, let's let's talk all about this because I'm gonna be completely honest, while I was a bit um while I was a bit harsh them selling like all their companies um and all that. Uh, this first one and the next one just makes me wonder if they are sane, if something's, if everything's okay at home. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Square Enix says they recommend Balan Wonderworld <laughs> with confidence. Yes. <laughs> and apparently, yeah, players don't feel that same confidence as the widespread current of the game's rough state since the demo released. And yeah, and you can even see here that this came up in a discussion during an investor Q&A with Square Enix and the response was rather confusing. And this is of course after, you know, Yuji Naka took Square Enix over the court or Battle Wonder And first off... Yeah, this is the same game that Yuji Naka got booted off of from last episode. Or a few episodes ago, whatever. But the first thing... Or a few episodes, sorry. At me. least within the next last few episodes. I don't remember if it's 34 or 33, but one of those two episodes at least talked about this. But anyways, first off, mm -hmm. Square Enix did confirm they're in a lawsuit with Yuchinaka or Battle World of the World, but declined any to comment any further on that aspect of the story. Then, uh, what about World of the World itself, Square Enix then did say that it is a game that we recommend with confidence. There's a difference between I, I brought this up when you showed me this article. I brought this up. I, here's what I said ad verbatim or whatever it means to I literally said the quick uh, no not the quick brand fox. Uh there's a difference between comp <laughs> the, there's a difference between confident and competent. You can believe you're doing good at it, or show you're doing good at it. And that is literally word for word what I said when I saw this immediately. I was like, well, you're confident, but are you actually competent in what you're making? You can be confident all you want, but if, if, you, if it's going to flop, it's going to flop. You can, 
you have to be also able to confidently make or competently make this, and then you can say you're confident. Uh, confident. Right. <sighs> the demo sucked, so I'm not confident. Right. And then also, the Keep the Laughs Go with Square Enix, even though they just sold all... Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes. Let's sell our Western Studios for NFTs, and then guess what? Over here in uh, Weeaboo land, let's make more <laughs> studios for NFTs. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. I'm just kidding. So... Don't, don't roast me. <laughs> Score EX had just released its earnings report for last fiscal year, and that's a little miss in the sea of sales figures and numbers for a few interesting pieces of information, including the fact that Square wants to establish new game studios. <laughs> Normally, a publisher wanting to build or acquire more game studios would make perfect sense, but this news came shortly after Square EX just announced it was selling three major studios to Embracer Group for $300 million. As Square Enix moved forward, also want to cultivate robust IP after just sold off major IPs like Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, along with aforementioned studios. As they say, analysts have theorized the sale of some of its major Western Studios IP are part of an effort on the Jap Japan-based Square Enix is part to refocus on Japanese studios. If that is the case, then Square Enix is likely looking at acquiring or spinning up new studios in Japan rather than other parts of the world. As I won the core reasons behind Square Enix's divestiture of some of its overseas studios and IP is to use that money to, I mean, as we know, accelerate launch and monetization of new businesses by moving forward in focus fields, which include the blockchain, AI, and the cloud. Um... Where's that L? Remember to use your right hand so that they're seeing the L, not you. Um, so, uh, this this is directly after one. One, they're doubling down because they need to take note. <laughs> NFTs, since according to this article, ninety two percent since September twenty twenty one has that's how much the sales of them have, have fallen from there's eight percent of sales going on nowadays and the number of active wallets or the people who own or sell them has fallen 88 percent since november according to wall street journal and according to gamespot article uh and committing to this is just so poorly timed that I can't help but see this from a pedestal and be like, you stupid motherfucking ants, what are you doing? Building that house over there. I'm gonna kick it over now. Oh, it just feels like... It just feels uneducated. I don't know. Alright. But we can also see here, too, that despite anything we ever say about their decisions to double down NFTs... They still did well during the fiscal year as Final Fantasy XIV and Walker performed ridiculously well. That's the latest expansion for Final Fantasy XIV, by the way. Well, they just recently decided, oh, let's sell NFTs. <laughs> or let's make NFT stuff. So Pretty much what they're doing eh. is they're just going to overly rely on Final Fantasy XIV to make a lot of money. 
And then they're going to be like, okay, NFTs all the way. Let's go. Let's build our own metaverse. Oh my God. If you look in the comments, there's one person who said more Einhander, please. That's the game that I was talking about earlier. That was like a side scrolling shoot 'em up. <laughs> Square Enix, Einhander NFT. I'll buy it. No, not really. <laughs> Einhander 2. Uh, um, anyways. Yeah, this comes after. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. Say, yeah, this comes after we were just talked about in the last episode, the NFT crash that happened and how, like, yes, NFTs are still going to be around no matter what happens throughout all of this. And what we hope is that there's going to be, you know, more useful interp and, you know, you, you more useful NFTs, not just the JPEGs that you plop on a profile picture for like $25,000. Yeah. However, it seems like where Enix is thinking, oh, we could go toward that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, have fun and failing in that regard. Honestly. <sighs> so we have two words to say regarding these last few topics of gaming. Uh, one, fuck Bobby Kotick. Two, uh, fuck Square Enix's NFT initiatives. Honestly, like, uh, it's just like this. I wish them the highest luck, but it's not going to work. And I really feel like it's not, not going to work. Right. Like, I, I'm confident. I am confident that they are not competent enough. Right. Like, I know Bobby, Co work. I know Bobby Cox, technically Activision Blizzard, but still, I had to mention this in the last thing, considering that Activision Blizzard and Square Enix are both the last few segments of the gaming topic, because we could actually move on to our tech topics. And this continues on uh, yes. with the never-ending saga of Elon Musk and Twitter. Woo! Most Thank of this God is that's a never-ending saga nowadays. Yeah, in addition to Activision Blizzard. Yeah, an exclusion, hopefully, nowadays. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, hey, Elon Musk, if you still want to send us Teslas, we're still open. Just kidding. Uh, oh, yeah, we are certainly open. Woo! Yeah. I know, realistically, Elon Musk will never send us a Tesla, but... Yeah, realistically, but... Uh, it, only I in our dreams. So. Only in our dreams will we ever see the day when we'll get sent... The boring company's flamethrowers and Teslas. Or somebody retweets a uh, like a, a snippet of this audio to Elon and they're like, uh, Elon, hey, we found your number one fans. And he's like, what the fuck? What is this weeaboo looking ass dude and this, I don't know, neck beard or whatever. And then he just is like, oh, okay. No, oh, they they like they like me. Oh, they like me. Let me throw money at them now, so they can shut up. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah. Um, anyways, thanks, uh, Elon. <laughs> so this this first article comes to us from Engadget, and they mentioned how the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating Elon Musk's belated disclosure of his purchase of more. Then 5% of Twitter shares, the Wall Street Journal reports, the lag allowed him to purchase more stock without altering 
alerting other shareholders, something that may have saved him a significant amount of money. Musk is also facing a lawsuit from Twitter shareholders and a separate FTC pro over the same matter. And he mentioned how Musk disclosed the purchase on April 4th, 10 days later than the law requires. According to the Wall Street Journal experts, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal experts, he likely saved over $143 million by not reporting the trade, and the share price may have been higher had the mark market know about his stake. He eventually acquired 9.2% of Twitter, which made him the company's largest shareholder. And then in initial filing, must say he was a passive shareholder, but the following day, he filed a form that showed more involvement, including an offer to join the board of directors. A week later, he submitted an offer to buy Twitter for $44 billion, which has been approved by Twitter's board. Musk said that he unlocked the extraordinary potential of the site and that the deal would be good for free speech. And yeah, other than this stuff too, we have various Twitter posts from both Elon Musk himself and, well, the current CEO of, of Twitter. But before we get on to that, I take this time to make sure this web page loads and we'll get on with what I think is probably one of the most interesting things of the entire week. I mean, besides this insider trading bullshit that Elon Musk apparently is going through. And yeah, so while I'm waiting for this webpage to load, uh, what do you think of this supposed probe that the FTC is trying to put on Elon Musk? Uh, so when it comes to um, comes to that, um, you know, I I know he's a smart guy. Nobody becomes a millionaire, you know, with dumb luck or billionaire. Uh, so I mean, no offense to him. And, you know, I kind of support this acquisition because he has a little bit more of a uh, central take on freeing up, like, uh, you know, when it comes to, like, freeing up, like, uh, less uh, okay-ish political views, I guess, to the original Twitter uh, idea, I guess. Um, I know that from what this set from what this is saying that it according to you know the actual article and uh the probe itself uh he kind of knew what he was doing you know he said that he was a passive shareholder and then immediately went on to uh although he saved a lot of money by not reporting it he should have reported it because legally he had to right is that the case? Yep. So, well, I unfortunately, unfortunately, I have to, you know, side with FTC because it's it's like like he said if that's something that the, like you know how he said that you know freedom of speech you know if the when it came to Europe you know how he said that. Um, it's like, you know, the citizen's decision, you know, it's the public opinion, sort of like when they set laws like that, when they pass, you know, if they were against it wholeheartedly, they would protest against it, right? So, 
breaking, allegedly breaking a law like this, I, I understand that, you know, he's, I wouldn't call him hypocritical, but it's a little sketchy, you know, that he would do this to save money. But then again, I only kind of feel bad because he just wants to buy Twitter and make Doge memes. He wants to change the Twitter bird to the Doge, the Dogecoin uh, symbol. <laughs> right. And I guess while I'm waiting for the second article, well, we'll get to this back to the first one here. And this is the fact that, speaking of the never-ending Twitter drama, this is from Elon Musk Twitter, and he's saying that the de Twitter deal is temporarily on hold following pending details supporting calculation that spam slash fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. However, he's still committed to the acquisition. So pretty much what they're saying that he's putting a hold on buying Twitter simply because apparently there's less than apparently he's just waiting to see how many spam accounts are on Twitter. Okay. And then also too, he says to find out, my team will do a random sample of a hundred followers of Twitter. I invite others to repeat the same process, see what they discover. So yeah, like he's thinking that, hey, we, I want to find out how many spam accounts are on Twitter first before I make sure this is a thing. And then, yeah, that's an interesting thing to bring insight into. I mean, I don't know why you would go into an acquisition of this large of a scale and have so much financing behind your back. And then actually, you're like, oh, there's spam accounts. Up, oh, back off. Yeah, no, I get it. I personally, um, I'm a little, I don't understand why he's backing off the deal other than maybe it was the whole shareholder thing that was happening. Maybe he doesn't want to get in trouble. I don't know. Right. I'm not too into financial stuff like this, but it's a little sketchy that he would put all his chips in and get all this publicity about being the new CEO and then say it's on hold for now without any clear reason other than, oh, there's spam accounts. Like, I mean, I don't understand why he'd be afraid of spam accounts like that, you know? Like, what's the actual fear about holding a deal when it comes to, like, spam bot accounts, you know, or fake accounts? Is there any reason why you'd want to halt your own, you know, a sale of it or a purchase, I guess, in his case. Mm. I don't understand the intent other than, oh, there's spam bots. Yeah. I mean, as he mentioned that if he still says that he's still committed to acquisition, I hope he, you know, reevaluates his stance of why in the world would you just back off? And then suddenly... Yeah. It, it makes you seem more skeptical of him when you think of it this way like did he does it make you think like did he actually do his research on buying this before committing to the acquisition like mm -hmm. it feels more hastily done than calculated and planned yeah I mean don't get me wrong I, I would if Elon Musk still buys Twitter 
I would still be in support of it. Mm -hmm. But this fake account slash spam bot thing needs to get sorted out first. Like it really, I I think personally, this was probably the dumbest decision he probably ever make in his acquisition. Cause now it all of a sudden makes him seem like someone who didn't do his research before buying the company. Yeah, it does feel a little bit, uh, a bit, uh, hasten in the sense, you know, the, uh, or hasty decision. Yeah, it really does. Like, don't get me wrong. I put ads on Twitter, so I'm sure they're happy to have my $250 on Twitter, but I mean, hey, I mean, that's different than trying to buy up a whole company for $44 billion. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, oh, never mind. Nope, oh, that oh, back off. Uh, you know, apparently there could be more than 10% of bots on the site. Bye. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the key points you mentioned is defeating the spam bots. Like, you mentioned clearly in your tweets, Elon, that your one of your goals was to defeat the spam bots. And now you're backing away because you're, oh, the spam bots. Yeah. Like, altogether, like, this does seem like, personally, you know, this is something that's going to, you know, I personally feel like it, it makes it more hastily done, poorly researched, and hypocritical, even. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... While Elon Musk is backing off the deal, we see that Parag Agarwal, the current CEO of Twitter, has mentioned that there are some changes that have been happening over the past several weeks as we focus on the company. But he also mentioned we announced changes to our leadership team and operations yesterday. Changes impacted people are always hard, and some have been asking why a lame duck CEO would make these changes if we're getting acquired anyway. And his answer was, well, I expect the deal to close. We need to be prepared for all scenarios and always do the what's right for Twitter. I'm accountable for leading and operating Twitter, and our job is to build a stronger Twitter every day. No one at Twitter is working just to keep the lights on. We take pride in our work, regardless of the company's future ownership. We are here improving Twitter as a product, and it is for customers, partners, shareholders, and all of you. People have always also asked, why manage costs now versus after close? Our industry is in a very challenging macro environment right now. I don't you I won't use the deal as an excuse to avoid making important decisions for the health of the company, nor will any leader at Twitter. So what you can expect from me going forward, I'm still focused on doing the job, and that includes making hard decisions as needed. I will continue to embrace the deep complexities of our services and our business. And you can expect more change for the better. I will also try to bring more transparency to the work that we do. You won't see tweets from me on the topic of the day or the last soundbite, rather on the ongoing, continuing this and challenging work our teams are doing to improve the public conversation on Twitter. Finally, so much gratitude for our whole team at Twitter. They have stood strong and focused, sharp and agile. They've been doing the work as they always have onward. Because I mentioned the deal in this thread, here's the obligatory legalese for your reading pleasure and yeah like this is pretty much him saying hey i'm make i'm making some changes to twitter because this is still him saying he's expecting the deal is still close
But yeah, Elon Musk kind of just back, took a step back from it. So yeah. now you have other people still thinking that he's still going to buy the company. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, why would you back out of this deal when every, you have investors and loan keepers and everything? Like lenders, everything, all say, yeah, go for the buy acquisition Twitter. And also, like, nah, I'm not really doing this. How do you think all your lenders and partners of your acquisition are going to feel when they realize that you're taking a step back on Twitter just for fucking spam bots? Uh, it's a. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it seems a bit. Uh... What are you doing? Yeah. And, like, I don't know, just. It's. I don't know how to put it other than it's like. Just. Unprofessional? You know? It kind of does. Like, I know that Elon Musk is a very transparent. Like, he, he mentions a lot of things on Twitter. And apparently, if you go back through the last week tweet the chain and comments in that he apparently disclosed like he broke NDA on something regarding an algorithm thing. <laughs> oh, that's nice. So he's being hyper transparent, like to the point of breaking NDAs. He's also, you know, backing off this deal. And uh-huh. yeah, you know, this very casual laid back CEO who's hyper-trans... Well, I wouldn't say CEO of Twitter, but probably more towards other companies, but definitely towards, you know, everything else going on. He's hyper-transparent, and now all of a sudden you all this stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. Twitter CEO still expecting the deal to close while he's trying to rework the company a little bit. And, yeah, I just... Yeah, I don't know how to feel about this, like, personally, because... I still want Elon Musk to buy. I, I, I still wouldn't mind Elon Musk buying Twitter and trying to make a more like like we both agreed on, a more central take on a social media platform, something that may be a bit more rightly, maybe not exactly rightly, but definitely more rightly than what you know Facebook and like every other social media company is advocating for, from that be a bit more toward the middle line, but not so far right that you get a true social situation. And now you got a laughing stock on your hand. Yeah, or, uh, uh, you know, actually, I won't say that because it's a bit, I don't know, whatever, um, a certain Republican, uh, who shouldn't be in Georgia, um, resides. Of course. (sighs) But yeah, what a weird situation with Twitter overall. It really, it just turned what seemed to be a relatively interesting and shocking thing into something that is just confusing. Mm-hmm. And head-scratching. But you know what isn't head-scratching, though, is the fact that their Google I.O. happened, and this is a conference that Google announces things. Okay. And the rest of these topics should be fairly quick, I would think. So, 
But yeah, there's right, the, yeah, there's a numerous announcements here from from Google. This is comes this comes to us from this article comes to us from Tom's Guide. And it brings us some of the most key highlights, including some things regarding Android 13. And yes, I am beta testing Android 13. And from what I could tell from my uses, I mean, it just, it seems to be more like very fine tweaks to the operating system to make sure it's fine. It did introduce this material U feature that apparently what it does is that you just go to your settings or whatever, it'll just change the icons to match with like whatever material you're going through. So it'll like change look the icons depending on that whole thing. Um, it's like other refinements and stuff, but the device stuff here is what I think is more exciting though. We get Google Pixel 6a, which is a budget phone that will cost 449 US dollars. And it'll feature things like Magic Eraser and all stuff. And the phone will rely on, will arrive on July 28th with pre-order starting on July 21st. Oh. So yes, there you go. A budget phone uh, just for you. Yeah, I'm a little interested, I guess. I mean, what was the Pixel 6 MSRP? I was like, I think it was like six or 700. And then I know, I think the Pixel base price was like 800, I believe. I don't remember the exact pricing, but I know it was around that, that range. You're getting a budget version of the same, pretty much a budget version of the same phone that I have, except. Oh, I have the I have the pro over there. Yeah, I see. But this will be good for you know people like you who don't have the means to get you know the best of the best phones. Well, it's not that I. I mean, yes, kind of. It's a little bit of an obstacle, but obviously, I'd save up for it if I really truly wanted it. Um, but for me, mostly, it's just like I don't really have i don't really have a need to have a phone that's like top tier right for my for my needs anyway exactly. i usually it's usually the best to just get what you need and not what you don't because you'd end up spending more for something that uh, might not be as useful for you i mean i got the phone the one i the way i did it i did it intentionally because i need all the storage i get so i have a 512 gigabyte storage phone Base for all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so besides that, they also introduced the Pixel Buds Pro, and these will feature active noise cancellation, and they'll cost two hundred dollars. And yeah, they're going to be available the same day that the Pixel Six A is going to be released. They're also going to launch the Pixel Watch, which is Google's first smartwatch. And it will run on Wear OS and incorporate Fitbit features like sleep tracking, heart rate monitoring, and other exercise tracking capabilities. And you'll be able to control smart home devices from your wrists too. And the Pixel 7 is coming until the fall, but I don't... Does that mean the Pixel Watch is not going to be available for the fall? Wow. Anyways, and then you also have the Pixel 7 itself, which yes, it's kind of heating toward that. 
which they, we don't know, they don't know much about the take Pixel 7, but apparently they know what they look like. It's got a slightly different design. In fact, if you scroll up a little bit, you can see the, I think the two phones at the bottom are the preview images for the Pixel 7. They have a slightly different design. The cameras are definitely different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And all that. And then they also reveal the Pixel tablet. Which is stated for a 2023 release date. And it's being touted as a compliment to Pixel phones. And they say, even oh, that hardware... Is it, yeah, they say even with that hardware focus, there are plenty of updates on software and services beyond the cursory Android 13 update. Google Maps getting an immersive search feature, which while search will introduce an expansion of its cool recently launched multi-search feature that incorporates location. We and then they were also pressed by a new scene exploration tool coming to Google Search. And Google Search Assist is also getting updates too that allow you to act interact with the assistant without first having to say, hey Google. So they're tweaking Google Maps a bit. They're going to have some things regarding search engine. And they're going to have some new seed exploration tools for search. But yeah, these devices yeah. all seem pretty cool, though. I mean, I will. I probably will get the watch of all these because I think I don't have a smartwatch. And it'd be nice to have one that complements my phone extremely well. But it'll be made by the same company that makes my phone mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to me i'm of course not gonna pick up anything but uh what i do like though um is uh i i do like the uh pixel watch as well um the idea of it you know but uh it's gonna be for google's first smartwatch so it's literally from google this time uh so i could only hope that if you do get it you please read reviews first of course because it's you know d don't be a beta tester for a full fully released product you know right like i mean i'm not gonna get this right away at launch this will be down the road sort of thing because i still have a couple other things i still need to acquire first like i do want to get a gopro down the road for the sole purpose of so I could do like hardware shots and stuff and I could do like a first person vlog series. Yeah. So I'd like to have a cool thing where I could have like a rotating table or something in the middle or something like that or just some like nice camera shots with the GoPro. I could be like stroll down here and then I like do all this cool cinematography stuff with it. I think that would go a long <laughs> way to make the review for the Pixel 6 look professional, which this just makes me want to rush my Pixel 6 review. <laughs> That was Pixel 6 Pro, and I need to get that done before this, this Pixel 7 gets released. Uh, and no, I'm not upgrading the Pixel 7. As, and no, I'm not upgrading the Pixel 7 Pro because I'm fine with my Pixel 6 Pro for the time being. Mm -hmm. I'm going to probably ride this out until like 6G becomes a thing. Yeah. Or, or whatever the next standard in, you know, wireless communication is going to be. Like, that's when I upgrade my phones. When there's a new wireless standard, I will upgrade. Yeah. 
Otherwise, I just use my thing. It's like a glorified, like, mini, super mini computer that just happens to play up stupid smartphone games and walk, go on YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> I mean, if I had all the money in the world, and yeah, I would definitely be buying, like, all the latest phones and just comparing them and do, do the massive tech thing. It'd be freaking awesome. Yeah. But I don't have that expendable income quite yet. Oh, no, I hear you. Eventually, though, if if you do get into the tech review stuff, they do eventually send out, like, free preview samples. So, that you would, would have to send back, and you can't, like, take a part and stuff, but you can test for the time being. So... <laughs> Absolutely, I have to make sure the following gets big enough for before I would even be able to get into that game. Of course, I'm just letting you know that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love to do that. Like, be awesome if they, if any company wants to send me free stuff. I mean, I'm happy to review it for you and take a look. So I just need to get my first few episodes of Tech Media done first, so they can show like, hey, oh wow. Definitely, yeah. Um, um, hey, um, speaking of new stuff, this interesting topic that I'd like to mention is the fact that Microsoft is going to be making these things called adaptive accessories. So people on PC can easily interact with their computers. This is going to be more similar to like how Microsoft made the Xbox smart, you know, the smart control for Xbox. You tap the controller. Yeah. And you can see from the screenshot here, it's all the different components like D-pad looking things and joysticks and buttons they can use for macros even. Oh, that's pretty cool. So the whole idea is literally just you're just trying to make PC more accessible for those who wouldn't be able to necessarily use it. Anyway. I see. Okay, so it's like uh, it's it's like uh, for people with disabilities relating to like yeah, with their hands and stuff. I I can see that. Mm-hmm. It's like the like the controller, but like for like a like a keyboard and mouse type um of scenario. Exactly. That's that's pretty cool. I like that. I I um yeah, like e- even something as simple as like maybe like I don't know carpal tunnel syndrome or something that prevents your joints and your fingers moving 100% properly. I can see where this can be used. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, or even being like a, uh, like having a little like a way to, like you said, program like a macro almost. I like that. Um, yeah, this is also allow people to get easier into PC gaming even, so you can use like as uh, for someone who they a- I actually was watching a video on this and they were showing off like how there's a person that like you know, had a tough time like moving around on like you know with, like her hands stuff like that and they show her actually using the set these accessories to be able to play Minecraft. Oh I see. 
and they say it's accessible by design. You can explore the highly adaptable, easy to use ecosystem, but you configure, 3D print, and customize your own mouse, keyboard inputs, and shortcuts. Which allow you to create your ideal setup, increase protectivity, and use your favorite apps more effectively. And you can create a mouse more unique to you and discover the mouse you can customize by attaching a Microsoft adaptive mouse tail and thumb support or 3D printing to make a mount that truly works for you. This versatile system was created for people who can't use a traditional mouse and anyone who wants to increase their PC productivity. They showed the vertical standalone mouse and they even show off the how you can attach a Microsoft adaptive mouse tail for traditional mouse experience. The thumb support accessory goes where you want, switching sides for left or right handedness. Yeah, you can see they have like three different shells and stuff like that for this thing. So yeah, like you could literally customize this whole thing to be however you want it to. And how you can create custom inputs on a keyboard. They show like very different buttons and joysticks. and How this one button here can be used for multiple actions. And that innovative wire button with eight digital programmable inputs. Shoot between a D-pad, joystick, or dual button. And you can even see this stuff all over here. <laughs> and... The second article I have brings more details to this, and if you scroll all the way down, because this is about a, this is available like a Microsoft Summit event. Mm -hmm. The new Microsoft Adaptive Accessories provide a highly adaptable, easy-to-use system. Each piece is designed in partnership with the disability community to empower people who may have difficulty using a traditional mouse and keyboard to create their ideal setup, increase productivity, and use their favorite apps more effectively. A traditional mouse and keyboard may pose obstacles for someone with limit mobility. These adaptive accessories can perform a variety of functions, thereby alleviating a pain point for those who find challenging to get the most out of their PC. The Microsoft Adaptive Accessories have three main components that empower you to configure, 3D print, and customize your own mouse, keyboard, inputs, and shortcuts in ways that best work for your specific needs. Their first component is the Microsoft Adaptive Mouse that you can customize with the Microsoft Adaptive Mouse Tail and Thumb Support or 3D Printed Tails to make a mouse that truly works for you. The Microsoft Adaptive Mouse Core, Tail Extension, and Thumb Support come together to create a traditional mouse that's light and portable. Additionally, the Thumb Support accessory easily switches sides for left or right-handedness. The next, a set of Microsoft adaptive accessories that empower you to replace or augment traditional keyboards with a central hub and new wireless buttons. The Microsoft adaptive hub can wirelessly pair up to four Microsoft adaptive buttons, allowing multiple connections with less cord clutter. The hub also works with standard 3.5 millimeter assistive tech switches and features three distinct profiles for use with multiple devices. When paired with the Microsoft adaptive hub, the Microsoft adaptive button can be easily customized to your own preferred inputs with different button toppers by choosing between a d-pad joystick or dual button and you can also use 3d print your own button topper to fit your specific needs the wireless and versatile design allows you to create the setup that works best for you whether you're using a versatile two-in-one like Surface pro or any windows pc
But yeah, I think this is very good for the consumer. Like, being able to use your PC for more things is great. Yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm happy about this. I mean, I wouldn't be able to use it because I, I don't have any, like, physical, like, disabilities that would entail this. But, um, I'm happy though that this is a you know an option for people who, unfortunately, have that problem. You know, in any way, shape, or form that it, it you know it, it exists. You know, I, I um, I find it really nice to just see stuff like that. You know, exists. You know, uh, like I, I'm, I'm happy to see that. Uh, uh, give me one second. Sorry, uh, I'm happy to see that. Um, solutions like this exist for uh, specific people. You know, not not just like it's tailored to them. So they actually have a, it's not one size fits all, you know, it's like I said on the previous uh, article, how uh, it's one size fits one. That's, that's kind of how it is for a lot of uh, disabled people is that the things that would work for them don't always naturally translate to the next person. And I, I, I think that this is a this is a good thing to have you know it's really like literally great for the player because it's like literally good for anybody who can't normally uh access like a controller or a keyboard you know so i'm happy about this of course i'd like to I, I, I'd like this to be integrated into like instrument playing too, because um, uh, like I noticed that like a lot of instruments really require you to be two-handed, and they don't really account for any sort of disability a lot of the time, whether it's physical or you know um, like uh you know being able to move your joints, this and that, you know your fingers, like uh. I'd like to see this be integrated into like guitars and stuff because um, I don't know. I just I, I know that there are there, there are people. There was a guy out there that I remember watching a video of. He uses his feet to play guitar. Well, that might sound a bit strange. That's literally what he does, and I think he does it with like he played like uh, a few video games uh, with his, you know literally his own feet and his you know arm uh, uh I, I just it's like it's amazing like without i don't know it's like it's a it's as the same as where there's a will there's a way you know i just i love seeing this sort of stuff because it's like even after you go through all this these struggles about losing you know um your ability to do something you find a way around it that i don't know it's that perseverance that i love to see especially when it comes to a um what i feel like is a a hated community in a sense because they're not able to do this and that like they kind of get foregoed and picked on a bit sometimes um 
like I, I feel like some people see disabilities uh, even still, even in an inclusive sort of um, nowadays where it's more progressive and inclusive. I feel like, um, you know, they're accepted, but they're not uh, treated well enough. Like, I feel like sometimes, uh, like I've, I've seen like older people who can't walk as much literally get their door slammed in their face as they're exiting because the douchebag in front of them is just i'm just i need to go to my car i don't care about the person behind that's literally barely able to open the door and there's no handicap button to push it open so it's like you know so i've, I've seen stuff like that and it's i don't know it's like i feel like we don't think too much about it we just you know see it and are like oh that's okay but we don't think about what actually goes on behind the scenes you know uh, that kind of goes back to the whole activision thing where they're kind of like they include these people but they don't show the struggle and i feel like this is a great way to highlight the uh you know what people like this struggle with and how they're able to adapt and show their actual going from a to, to b yeah you know? Um, in terms of being able to finally achieve what anybody else could do, you know, any able person could do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that some people who, you know, who don't, you know, typically are disabled do manage to find uses for these adaptive accessories or like the adaptive controller. Like sometimes people will just use it for a bonus back or something like that. But the fact that these are primarily meant for a disabled audience or those who can't you know do normal things is still a very generous thing for microsoft to do mm -hmm. i i do like it too i i appreciate that there's some heart put behind this you know like the fact they're a been, big company too yeah and the fact that you know microsoft has been working with the disabled community to make sure these do work with yeah. all sorts of situations. It makes this really helpful and very insightful. And honestly, it shows that they've been willing to do their research to make this as approachable as possible. Certainly. Uh, but one thing that didn't really need to get refreshed or anything, as far as Alpaca is concerned, is the 6000 series of GPUs. Yep. Um, The AMD... RX 6000 desktop GPUs. Give me one second. Um, they have been refreshed. The uh, the original, uh, you know, 66,000 uh, XT, the 67,000 XT, and the they forgot the 68 because I think there wasn't like a. I, th I don't think there was a. Uh, there was already a 68. You know, hundred without an XT up right next to its name, so I guess they forgot it because of that. Um, and the sixty nine hundred XT. If I've been saying thousand, excuse me. Um, so I looked at benchmarks from many, many other YouTubers, Hardware and Box. You know, um, I looked at Gamers Nexus, Blindness Tech Tips. I've I've seen the bar ch the bar graph charts all over, and 
No offense, but five to thirteen percent more performance. It feels like a slap in the face, and it it just comes at more more energy used and more heat output, especially when it's summer. You know, um, more heat is coming out of the computer. I don't know. I, I like looking at this. Um, I I just don't think that these needed to be released, or I don't think th I think they should have. They seem a bit too uh, simple. They're just higher binned um, of their respective uh, second digit or third digit number. You know, um, the, you know, 67, 9, 6, bands, such. They, the 50 series of these, you know, the 6x50 is what I think they're being... Uh, named as um, they are pretty much just higher clocked higher watt you know power limit sort of um, a little bit more compute units they're no offense they're just a little bit of a slap in the face in my in my opinion they feel like they are um, trying to sell something that is just a slightly you can achieve all this with just overclocking your original 6000 gpu this five percent that you're actually getting from these higher clocks and stuff you could either achieve it with a little bit more power or a lot less power depending on what you know silicon lottery and stuff like that um i don't know i just i'm looking at this and it's like it feels like uh, cash grab ish sort of thing. I don't know. I don't like it. Um, I, I looked on Newegg though, and one thing I like about this, which might seem a bit weird, is this is actually allowing, um, this is actually allowing the older cards. And, and let me tell you, this is like a year and a half later that they're being refreshed by just literally being a little bit higher clocked. Um, this is actually allowing them to be a lot less, a little bit cheaper, a lot less expensive. Like they have seemed to be just, you know, around like with the 6700 XT, it's been floating around that $500 mark or 550 mark. But I've seen them go from 600 all the way down to there just a few days before or just a few weeks before this was released and announced. So I'm happy that they're released, but they really didn't need to exist. They were just higher, like, they could have just sold them as the OC version of, of these. You know, I don't know, just... <laughs> That's my take on this. Um, because, like, they, they only perform a little bit better. And I understand at the higher end, where like the 6950 XT, obviously that's going to be, you know, price doesn't really matter at the higher end. When it comes to, you know, that's why the uh, 3090 versus the 3080 Ti, they perform very similar or 
3090 and 3090Ti just to perform a tad bit better. I don't know, I just really despise seeing this because they could have just been uh, I don't I don't know they they just feel like a bit too cash grabby I'm gonna head off with when it comes to this but I don't know I'm pretty much not a fan pretty much for what we're saying is that the 6950 XT which is supposed to compete with the 3090 is priced at thousand ninety nine dollars the 50 the 6750 is going to be priced at 549 and for the 6650 XT is going to be priced at 399 And Oh yeah, yeah. They show some Honestly, what I Go ahead. No, you you were about to say something so go ahead first. Honestly, I I just looked at this comment down below. I would like he's they say I wish they'd refresh the 64,000 and the 6500 XT to have the full 16 lanes of PCIe. Um, what what they mean by that is the these lower end ones only use 14, they only use four lanes of PCI Express, which means that if you're running in a PCI Gen 3 system, it will perform exponentially worse. Like it will be cut in half the performance compared to a PCI Gen 4, um, which is will allow the full um, bandwidth. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I wish that actually happened. Now I think about it, like having a 64,000 XT and, uh, you know, uh, have a uh, 6550. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Right, but but uh, I, you can continue on with what you were saying. Yeah, Apologize. they obviously have some benchmark stuff for the sixty nine fifty, which is supposed to compete with the sixty three ninety before the thirty nine Ti came out. <laughs> the RTX thirty ninety Ti. Uh, but yeah, Ti. Uh, overall, I mean, if you don't have a you know a sixty seven hundred or sixty nine hundred or sixty. 600 XT cards. I mean, these seem like they're. I mean, for like only 50, like only a couple. Like it seems like a pack. I mentioned like roughly fifty dollars more. Yeah, it's literally a five percent increase for five percent more price. Is what I believe it was kind of just looked at as. I mean, from what I could tell, not that bad of a pickup if. You don't have the card already, but if you do have one of these cards, then definitely stay away from these. Yeah, they're not worth the $50 more, or in your case, probably the, you know, however more the non-refresh versus the refresh, you know. Yeah, because I mean, like, uh, obviously, if you have the XTs that are more available than get the, these newer ones, get the new one, obviously. If you don't have, if, keep on, if you don't have any of these cards... And you're seeking to upgrade to something entirely different. Like, say, if you have, like, you know, an origin of these, you want to get the next gen of this, of whatever you had before. Obviously, this might not be a bad pickup. It's when you already have, like, the 6600 or the 6700 or the 6900 XTs that the marginal gain is just not worth it. Mm hmm. But what do use GPUs, though? Is NFTs. 
Uh, what? And we have two topics here that revolve around NFTs. What? Hey, I mean, Alpaca, this is why your favorite thing is taco. What are you talking about? Get hype. What? Just kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> Instagram. NFTs. <laughs> Starting this week on Instagram, we're testing digital collectibles with select U.S. creators and collectors to share NFTs that they've created or bought. The feature includes connecting a digital wallet, sharing digital collectibles, and automatically tagging the creator and collector. There will be no fees associated with posting or sharing a digital collectible on Instagram. Starting this week on Instagram, we're testing digital collectibles <laughs> to share NF. <laughs> I know, I know, Instagram is owned by Meta or the Facebook group as originally known as. And I know that Mr. Zuckerberg thinks that the metaverse is beautiful and that's why you renamed Meta or whoever, I don't know. But you know, <laughs> why did you, why did you ruin, why did you ruin Instagram with NFTs? <laughs> this is fucking terrible. This is evil. What the fuck is this shit? Look at this. If you scroll down. What is this? Is this shit floating in like a purple void? With other piss bacteria? What is this? An NFT? You can buy... <gasps> Eight people fucking bought this shit? With the, uh, starting at launch, the blockchains that will be supported are Ethereum and Polygon, with Flow and Solana coming soon. Third-party wallets compiled for Rainbow MetaMask. MetaMask! Trust Wallet? Coinbase. Dapper and Phantom coming soon? There will be no fees associated with posting. What? Meta will help reduce the emissions impact that might be associated with the display of digital collectibles on Instagram by purchasing renewable energy. Learn more about commitment to sustainability here. What does that say? Homepage sustainability.facebook.com. We believe that sustainability is blah, 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 blah. What the fuck is this shit? We're, we're committing to be. We're, we, we commit to becoming water positive by 230, 2030. Admit our mission is water closer. What the fuck? They think that they can. <laughs> Windmills, climate, water, responsible chain. <laughs> Episode one zero. What is sustainability? Introducing climate talks. They have a two-minute podcast. What the fuck is this bullshit? I swear to God, this has to be. If you you have to make this a short, you have to make the segment short. Water, this is just hysterical. I feel excited to be able to 
share my NFT journey with the community I've been cultivating on Instagram for over 10 years. I love how this feature will let collectors trace the art back to artists and be a part of the community that they have been building on Instagram for so long. I also love how it bridges my traditional art community with the Women Rise NFT community. Malia at Malia Z Art. What is next across Meta? We will continue listening to feedback as we embark on this new. <laughs> Allow people to display and share their digital collectibles as AR stickers. AR stickers? Augmented reality, you mean? Holy shit, what the fuck is this? On Instagram stories, you can read more about our efforts here. What is this? What is this shit? Over the coming months, we will explore additional features to provide further benefits of this technology for creators and collectors. Related news, Instagram, giving senior dogs loving homes. See how bunny are using... <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I mean, this looks pretty great. I love the pinstripe number four. It reminds me of like... Uh, uh, I love little and large 457. It reminds me of my allergies to grapefruit and um, my... Uh, love for lemon juice i guess um and i love shape and color it looks abstract it looks like uh um a b-rated game like uh getting over it with bennett foddy um but all in all what do i think about this um I'm blacklisting Instagram on my phone. <laughs> Do you have any words to know that Godcast will one day be promoted on Instagram? Your mom. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, well, in that case, um, for, it'll be a temporary blacklist. I'll use Snapchat then. I don't know. I used to have, like, a Snapchat account, but I don't know where the fuck happened to it. So, maybe I'll start there instead. I mean... <laughs> Anyways, clearly, I mean, I'll pack hey, at least. Hey, at least these NFTs aren't fake, unlike the ones that uh, OpenSea is making countermeasures to. Um, yes, because they've been bombarded with counterfeits, apparently. I really need a drink of water after that. I sounded like Vegeta with constipation. Uh, give me one second. I mean, hey, I mean, go ahead with this. You got to enjoy talk about NFT, which is one of your favorite subjects in all of technology. You're a prick. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Uh, so I'm back. See, 
up. So as we can see here, OpenSea's new measures hope to crack down on fake NFTs. And so OpenSea, for the for the people who don't know anything about crypto, is one of the largest marketplaces for crypto stuff in general. And pretty much what's been happening is that apparently there's a big there's been a big fraud problem that's been going on with this industry. And in a couple of blog posts, the FT marketplace detailed what changes users can expect, including opening up verification to more users, automated and human-assisted removal of so-called crypto copyments or fake copies of authentic NFTs and changes to how collection badges, which identify NFT collections with high sale volume or interest, are dolled out on the marketplace. First off, NFT. First off, OpenSea will use a two-part system to detect fakes that combine both image recognition tech and human reviewers. The company says its new system will continuously scan all NFT collections, including newly minted assets, to spot any potential fakes. Human reviewers will vet any removal recommendations. They mentioned here that their copyright prevention system leverages computer vision tech to scan all NFTs on OpenSea. The system then matches these scans against a set of authentic collections, starting with some of the most complimented collections. We look for flips, rotations, and other permutations. The copy says it already spotted some fakes with its copy mint detected system and plans to scale up the technology in the weeks to follow. The company has also made some updates to a verification and badging system. OpenSea will open up account verification to any creator who holds at least 100 Ethereum of collection volume which currently is equivalent to roughly $205,000. This means that sellers who have to already own a significant collection of NFTs to be verified by OpenSea. The marketplace stated that it plans to broaden the eligibility criteria for verification as it continues to learn more. NFT collections will also get a collection badge if they're generated more than 100 Ethereum in trading volume. OpenSea will also require a profile name username, verify email address, and a connected Twitter account for account verification. Know that Godcast is promoted on Twitter. I have no words as to how he connected that to, to, to 10FTs. All the changeable, all these changes will likely create a number of obstacles for NFT scam artists. Scammers have grown increasingly sophisticated in their tactics. Some going as far as to create fake Discord servers and websites or pose actual employees of NFT companies. Verifying the real life identity of sellers is a long-standing problem in the world of NFTs, where anonymity is a key part of the culture. But yeah, um, what do you think of these measures? Um, fine by me, you know, um, I feel like, uh, like a lot of things that are brand new and exciting, I feel like with NFTs in particular, I feel like people jump in on the hype and don't realize just how bad it can be, you know, like what I mean by that is people jump on the hype with absolutely little to no, even sometimes zero knowledge and we'll end up getting burnt because they unfortunately don't understand just what it entails you know just what the thing entails and in this case you know um like uh you know like uh 
don't know, like Earth 2. I think that was a whole scam before or something like that. Um, that sort of stuff. You know, the people will jump on that and be like, oh, this is pretty cool. And they don't realize that, you know, it's probably a scam. You remember uh, Monkey Jizz? <laughs> Do you remember that? Just, just, just to bring one example. Imagine getting scammed by a Bitcoin named uh, I love how that epic sauce special <laughs> named uh well you know anyways um <clears throat> so yeah that's it's unfortunately one of the uh one of the issues I've seen and unfortunately um, have seen like people fall victim to and I feel terrible because these people don't know any better. Right. So I do like look out on measures to prevent scams like this, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of people, you know how um, people would send phishing emails and stuff. It's it, scams are all this time. So, you know, it's. It's better to always have countermeasures, even if it's something I don't really have much faith in as of right now because of the, you know, use that has been, uh, right. you know. I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean, it is going to stop people from copying and pasting images and saving on their computer. No. Well, at least NFT-based images. It's going to stop them from copying and pasting the images, saving on their computer, and keeping the lovely little collectible on their computer. No. But is it going to stop people no. from? If it's going to be at least good looking measures to stop people from uploading these things, to say like OpenSea and make money off of that said copy and paste, I would think this actually would. I was mitigated. I mean, I mean, it never stops me from uh, saving, downloading. Uh, give me one second. It never stopped me from bringing the one and only. The one true faith, alpaca god. It didn't yeah. save anything from me saving this. You think theft is funny? Sorry. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, saving, and uh. Well, you know, um, things, unfortunately, uh, coming to an end. Right, because ladies and, and gentlemen, limited. Apple has officially killed off the iPod brand. Yep. A sad day for all those... Who have lived through it. You know, the iPod was uh, one of the first ways to kind of like get music. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like the OG uh, Spotify in a sense. Yeah, iTunes, I remembered how you know. cool it was when like the iPod. Nan I remember when I, I remember I had like a, I think I had a first gen Nano. That was fun. And then I got myself an iPod video. And that too was also pretty fun. 
and then I got yeah. an iPod Touch. And that thing was kind of wild because literally just an iPhone without the phone. Yeah. I was I able mean, to the play the original one. Sorry. I was, me. I was literally able to play Call of Duty Black uh, not Black Ops. Uh the Call of Duty zombies on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yes, yes, yes. They had a uh an exclusive iPod iPod version. I remember that. There's an iOS thing. Um they made like a a really tiny version of it. It I had that yeah, on I there. remember that. That's that's wonderful. I I don't have nostalgia of playing it, but I remember seeing like I remember looking into it and like I was just like, wow, this is like I remember looking into this sort of stuff when I was into like, uh, you know, uh, like unused assets, beta objects and the cutting room floor sort of stuff, you know, um, and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. I wish I could, you know. You know, try this out at least a little bit. Um, the original iPod, though, actually was introduced only a few days prior to me being born. So I was I was raised among the iPod in a sense, and so were you if you were ra if you were born in the fall of two thousand one. You know, I was born nineteen ninety six. Fuck you then. Anyway, sorry. I was four. <laughs> Okay. When the iPod, so. if that was the case. But anyways, so let's take a look at this article here. This is from Apple's newsroom itself. This is from Apple's website itself. They mentioned uh -huh. since its introduction over 20 years ago, iPods Catholic users all over the world who love the ability to take their music with them on the go. Today, the experience of taking one, one's music library out into the world has been integrated across Apple's product line from iPhone and Apple Watch to iPad and Mac, along with access to more than 90 million songs and over 30,000 playlists available via Apple Music. Music has always been a core part of our core at Apple, and bringing it to hundreds of millions of users in the way iPod did impacted more than just the music industry. It also redefined how music it discovered, listened to, and shared, said Greg J Joswiak, Apple Senior Vice President of Worldwide Marketing. Today, the spirit of iPod lives on. We've integrated an incredible music experience across all of our products, from the iPhone to the Apple Watch to HomePod Mini, and across Mac, iPad, and Apple TV. And Apple Music delivers industry-leading sound quality with support for spatial audio. There's no better way to enjoy, discover, and experience music. Among the incredible ways to enjoy music across a range of devices, including a wide variety of models from the new iPhone SE, to the latest iPhone 13 Pro Max, iPhone is the best device for streaming Apple Music or storing an entire music library on the go. Apple Watch and AirPods are the perfect companion, allowing users to access over 90 million songs right from their wrist, starting at just $279 with Apple Watch SE. iPad starts at $329, come with a more powerful chip or display, and the latest iPad OS features. And for the best way to enjoy music at home, Opod Mini is just $99. Oh, tears coming from my eye right here. And they show a little image gal right here of the original iPod. Mm hmm. 
to the iPod Mini, to the iPod Nano, to the iPod Touch with the, the original iOS interface, to the seventh generation of iPod Nano, the iPod Shuffle. I believe this is one of the later birds, which it didn't look like a stick. This is actually when it used to be super small and you could just clip it onto stuff. Oh, yeah, I see this. It, I don't know, it's just, I love it. And, and then you get to the last iPod model ever introduced. The seventh generation of the iPod Touch that was introduced on May 28th, 2019. You mean the iPhone? <laughs> it looks like an iPhone. Now the thing Anyways. is, is that, yeah, it is a shame that you know the iPod has to go away. I understand that many things have been integrated with all their devices, but I feel like the iPod Touch was a good entryway to get into the iOS ecosystem at a cheap price if you don't have any attention to calling people. That is a really good point. You know, I know a lot of uh, Apple products have been relegated to this, like, uh, oh, you're too poor, don't, you know, get on our level, you know, poor shaving sort of stuff. Um... And that you bring up a really wonderful point because honestly, this seventh generation iPod Touch, it looks like one from 2012. I'm going to be completely honest. This looks like an iPhone from 2012. Like, it is. I don't know how to say it other than it just looks like that. That is completely true. This is a way to get an iPhone without the phone part, but not as big as an iPad. And like you said, it's it's a uh, an entry level iOS device, I feel. And that's that's probably what most people use it for. Honestly, I you bring up a really amazing point when it comes to that. Um, yeah, go ahead with that. Yeah. And on top of it, too, I feel like some people. Not everybody. I think the vast majority of people, you know, have practically moved on with just storing their music on their phones, like myself included, or going on Spotify or whatever else streaming service you use. Just want a dedicated device to store their music so it doesn't drain up the resources on their phones. And having an iPod that allows you, you know, just download your music or whatever else you want to have if you have the touch version is a good way to do it without having to rely on mm -hmm. over hundreds of dollars on just getting a smartphone for the sake of just not using the phone part. Yeah. And no, it is a shame that Apple is officially leaving the portable music player market. Like it really is.
Yeah. Like, I understand they'll make a lot more money and may and have better resources on just manufacturing the phones, making the MacBooks and all the stuff, and having all this music, you know, be co- connected to all their other devices. But something about just having a dedicated device just for your music, I guess, makes me sound old too. <laughs> It's just like, man, it, it, it serves a niche that I feel, yes, has dwindled, but it's a significant enough of a niche that it should still be served. Yeah, I I, I can hear that. Um, I can see that. I mean, I... um. I get that because not only would it be an entry level way to get into the iOS sort of ecosystem, um, the uh, you know a lot of people see like a lot of people see phones as like being an MP3 player nowadays. Like you don't need your phone; you can just put an SD card in it and use it as an MP3 alongside it. But but keep um, in mind this too: most phones nowadays don't have SD cards. Yeah, that's another little thing is like you'd have to relegate so much to like music if you want to or you could use Spotify and stuff. But still, it's like having the convenience of having a, you know, portable, uh, you know, MP3 player and have it separate from your phone. You know, I, I, I see how uh, this one isn't, I wouldn't say a bad call in a sense, because for, for as a business standpoint, but for a consumer standpoint, I wouldn't mind getting onto iOS through an iPod, you know. Um, I hope that uh, update support um, would at least you know, continue on because I know usually they just kind of dock everything else uh, when things become discontinued. So I hope that iPod touch support at least continues on for quite some time, you know. I'm trying to look through the article, see if they mention anything about that. It doesn't look like they do as far as right now um let me see fun at full speed 200 bucks yeah 200 bucks is not that bad i gotta say as long as it's pretty much just you know an iphone without the phone like you could probably do somewhere like i would say say ipod like, if I were to do the iPod again, I would do, like, iPod minimal. <laughs> or iPod yeah, like ES. like a nano. Yeah, or iPod ES. Say for essential. Yeah. This just gives you... It, it pretty much functions as, like, a shuffle. There's a bare-bones music player that you could just use. It may have a screen or something. It'd just be more reminiscent of, say, like, an iPod nano or whatever. 
just get Ibai listed music and just a couple of bare functionalities, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the iPod Me or iPod Middle. This essentially functions as like a lesser iPod, the lesser of the iPod touches. It's a lesser spec iPod that gets you by, gets you a good chunk of the apps or whatnot for the App Store. But not like the top of the line, like it doesn't have the best screen or the best processor or anything like that. Just the bare minimum to get you by, may take a couple pictures or just browse around or whatever, and that's it. Yeah. And then you have what I would call iPod Max. And this is the iPod that would have the same exact processor as like the latest like iPhone 13 Pro Max or whatever the, the phone will be. The greatest camera, everything. And it's literally a personal computer in the palm of your hands. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the iPod should have just been around and they could have repurposed the iPod as something different. I feel it could have gone a long way to keep it around for longer. But then they had yeah. to cut the core. Maybe. Out. Yeah. Maybe. Just. Maybe rebrand it. Like, don't call it. Like. Um, maybe call it the iPod, but. Rebrand it as more than just a music player. You know? Make it. Um, you know, like the, you know, I, I don't like to, uh, say this, but make it kind of just like the poor man's version in a sense of a, of a iOS device, you know, something that, that you can get into and then they would be more tempted to try Cause like a lot of people don't like Apple for whatever reason and they are always Android for life. Me, I'm kind of in this in that sort of sense because I don't really care about the phone market um, as much. Um, but I, you know, if I were to ever get into phone type sort of repairs and uh, you know making my own sort of uh, space in the whole phone market in a sense, like you know. Um, not collecting them, but uh, researching them more because they're interesting for some reason. Like, I find them interesting one day. I would take what you said, in a sense, you know, make a, uh, a sort of baseline. You know, how, like, graphics cards, they have the entry level and the high end. You know, and the high end is Apple's crazy iPhone 13, 14, whatever. And then the iPods are the you know, the, the the lower end, sort of, without the iPhone part of it. Yeah, at that point, that's what I think it should be. It's just, you have an iPod that's like either, that at least could enable you to get into Apple's ecosystem and just trying out the device, see if you like it, and then maybe if you like the experience you have on the iPod, then it could incentivize you to upgrade to an iPhone to have the complete experience of being able to make calls and everything. Yeah. But rest in peace, iPod. 
you know, the line has served many ways, many people, including myself. And I hope that Apple just actually keep pursuing music initiatives and just keep pushing for music in general across whatever device they have left. Certainly. But in the, in the wake of a death comes rebirth. Because scientists can grow plants in moon soil. And interesting. It is very interesting. So this comes to us from University of Florida News. Yes, we're actually talking about a good thing for Florida this time. We're not roasting up Florida men. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know. Uh first for everything. Mm-hmm. Including this article's main focal point, thankfully. Yes. Scientists <sighs> grow plants in soil from the moon. So pretty much scientists have grown plants in soil from the moon, a first in human history and a milestone in lunar and space exploration. In a new paper published in the journal Communication Biology, University of Florida researchers showed that plants can successfully sprout and grow in lunar soil. The study also investigated how plants respond biologically to the moon soil, also as lunar re- regolith which is radically different from soil found on Earth. This is work This work is a first step towards one day growing plants for food and oxygen on the moon or during space missions. More immediately, this research comes as the Artemis program plan to return humans to the moon. Artemis require a better understanding of how to grow plants in space, said Rob Burrell, one of the study's authors and distinguished professor of horticulture sciences in the UF Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. Even in the early days of lunar exploration, plants played an important role. Said Annalisa Paul, also one of the authors. Plants helped establish that the soil samples brought back from the moon did not harbor pathogens or other unknown components that would harm terrestrial life. But those plants were only dusted with their lunar regolith and were never actually grown in it. Paul and Furrow are internationally recognized experts in the study of plants in space through the UF Space Plants Lab. They sent experiments on space shuttles to the International Space Station and on suborbital flights. For future longer space missions, we may use the moon as a hub or launching pad. It makes sense that we would want to use the soil that's already there to grow plants. So what happens when you grow plants in lunar soil, something that is totally outside of a plant's evolutionary experience, what would plants do in a lunar greenhouse? Could we have lunar farms? And they said the complication, the scientists only had 12 grams, a few teaspoons of lunar soil with which to do this experiment. On loan from NASA, this soil was collected during the Apollo 11, 12, and 17 missions to the moon. Paul and Farrell applied three times over the course of 11 years for a chance to work with the lunar regolith. The small amount of soil, not to mention its incalculable historical and scientific significance, meant that Paul and Farrell had to design a small-scale, carefully choreographed experiment. To grow a little tiny lunar garden, the researchers used thimble-sized wells in plastic plates normally used to culture cells. 
each well functioned as a spot. Once they filled each pot with approximately a gram of lunar soil, scientists moistened the soil with a nutrient solution and added a few seeds from the Arabidopsis plant. <laughs> Arabidopsis is, is widely used in plant sciences because its genetic code has been fully mapped. Growing Arabidopsis in the lunar soil allowed the researchers more insight into how the soil affects the plants down to the level of gene expression. And as you can see, the plants growth in these non-lunar soils were the experiment's control group. As if before the experiment, the researchers weren't sure the seeds planted in the lunar soils would sprout, but nearly all of them did. And what this especially told them is that the lunar soils didn't interrupt the hormones and signals involved in plant germination. Hours time went on, researchers observed differences between the plants that grew in the lunar soil and the control group. For example, some of the plants showed the lunar soils were smaller, grew more solely, or were more varied in size than their counterparts. These were all physical signs that the plants were working to cope with the chemical and structural makeup of the moon soil, Paul explained. This was further confirmed when the researchers analyzed the plants' gene expression patterns. At the genetic level, the plants were pulling out the tools typically used to cope with stressors, such as salt or metals or oxidative stress, so we can infer that the plants perceive the lunar soil environment as stressful. Ultimately, we'd like to use the gene expression data to help address how we can ameliorate the stress responses to this level where plants, particularly crops, are able to grow in lunar soil with very little impact to health. But yeah, though, like, this is actually pretty interesting. Like, it's an interesting thing to think about, but the fact that this is being used for, you know, this computer is used for, you know, space missions. Yeah. Um, I hear what you mean. Um, I, you know, um, looking at this, it's like they, um, since the plants were like, responding as if it was like a you know like a salts or something like that that they would usually um you know grow uh you know like like uh they perceive lunar soil as a stressful environment as it says salt metal or oxidative stress um so um, but it also says, they also say, uh, they are able to grow in lunar soil with very little impact to their health. Uh, oh wait, no, 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 it says, um, they're going to use gene expression for that purpose. So, um, the way I see it, like with the, that, um, what, what I see about that is that, um, you know how like some plants are genetically modified to grow better or be a bit more resistive um, to certain things. I would, I think it would be interesting to see a a um, plant that can adapt to such a stress as lunar soil and be able to grow on the moon in a sense. You know. Um, or at least use some of the soil 
that is found on the moon right to be grown i would think they would have to do like artificial lighting considering the fact that the moon is literally half dark and half light yeah 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 very very much yeah i know um but in general um i'm i find this interesting yeah like um, nothing more to it than yeah, like in order for this to work, I feel like you would have to have like definitely have a lunar farm, obviously, and you would need someone to literally live on the moon to tend the crops and all this stuff to make it work, or have robotic drones that can be controlled from Earth to make sure the plants are watered. I feel like I feel like drones would be the most logical step. Um. Uh, and, and you know, um. We only know so little about this. This is lunar soil brought back from the moon from 1960s, you know. So it's like, uh, as far as far as I know, anyways, this was lunar soil. Uh, give me one second. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, the Apollo missions. Yeah, this was during the Apollo mission, so, um, you know, this is from way, way back, um, and this is like, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, this is a limited test because they don't have the actual resources, of course. I would be so intrigued to find out what happens like later like when we have more um like i was actually thinking what about mars soil like i know we're moving on to mars because the moon's a bit boring uh that's kind of why we never really returned to the moon after so many years but um we're trying to see what mars is like and i don't know it's just using the soil um, from the moon to grow plants, and also, of course, like you mentioned, artificial light, water from Earth, and all other stuff. It'd be interesting to see how Earth plants adjust to something that is not natural to them, or natural to us, or anybody on this planet, you know? Right, and then I'll make sure that this room that they... Whatever enclosed these these plants have to be in have to also be temperature controlled. Yeah. But beside the point, like this is a very good for actually not only for space missions in particular, but I do think this could help if done right. Could help with food crises from other parts of the world. Like if you made the moon like an international thing. Kind of Antarctica is. Antarctica doesn't technically belong to any nation. It's purely it's purely international. Yeah. If you make the moon an internationally owned, you know, selection like an object, right? Mm-hmm. That can that's totally like independent of Earth and nations, everything like that. I feel like what you could do there is then you could pretty much just make it an international breadbasket. Yeah. See what you're saying. But obviously you have to make sure that the rooms are totally temperature controlled. Yeah. 
And yeah, this uh, this this could potentially help out with Mars too, because like, if we understand how the moon works, can we figure out how this the police patch result in Mars? Overall, though, I mean, this is still an interesting find and research, and I hope this continues to develop into Without a doubt. so yeah. many other things. And with that being said, that is it for today. Our comment of the day is none, really, because, I mean, episode 34 hasn't been out yet, as far as I could tell. Yeah. So... so uh... Yeah, we kind of don't uh, have anything, and even if we go back to like episode 31 or 2, there's still nothing. Yeah. So, as of, yeah, you know. As of today, May 15th. Yeah. So, guys, if you like what you're seeing today, uh, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, or follow us on any platform we're on. Also, check out the Godcat Discord and the Hydroid 99 subreddit and the Hydroid 99 Twitter all of which you can find in the link tree that is down below in the description. I am your host, HiJoy99. And I'm Fluffalpaka. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. NFTs! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Alpaca's favorite thing. All Sorry. right, later. <laughs>